Hey, strangers. Welcome to another episode of The Strange Sessions. As always, I'm Krista. With me is Kurt. How are you, Kurt? Good. How are you? I'm good. I am so into the weather today. It is like kind of dark and spooky. (laughs) It's weird that you messaged me that, that you texted me that yesterday because I left my house and I I was like, God, it's actually like fall out here. And then Mm -hmm. I started thinking about fall (sighs) and I was like right by the water tower driving and I'm like, God, it's almost like fall. And then you texted me how much you liked that. It was kind of like fall. I mean, I realize it's only what, August 13th and we probably have some 90 degree days coming. Oh, I'm sure we got 90 degree. But it's been in the 70s, even upper 60s. And today it's kind of gloomy and windy. And I haven't had my air conditioner on the last few days. I'm officially declaring it spooky season (laughs) because I can. My birthday is next week and my gift to myself is I'm declaring it fall. That's right. Happy birthday that is coming up it is thank you so yeah excited about this change in weather and just i don't know i'm getting in the mood for fall i'm usually in the mood for fall by july i'll be starting school again in like a two in two weeks i think so that's coming that went fast yeah my summer school's done it went so good. Good. Uh, I'm glad you decided to do. Summer I am school. too, and it was We're wearing it, the same hat. We are. We are wearing the same hat. But <laughs> we don't it was, always do that. It was but. really cool to have like other teacher aides. You know, like I was mm. talking to tell me they're like it's it's weird that you've only been doing this for like two years because they said you're so good oh, and they said good. like the way the kids the way the kids takes me, mm-hmm. you know. And I said because it's a lot of ways that I'm still kind of a big kid, mm-hmm. you know. I'm 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 moan and groan about being old, but I feel like my mind is still young you, you know the right perspective and there was mindset. one of my students i asked like when i got to know them i said why were you guys so nice to me when i started here and she said because she said because you came in and she said on that first day it, you weren't like i'm the adult you're the kids you mm-hmm. treated us like your friend you treated mm-hmm. us like equals and she said that's why they were nice so so i just love what i'm doing i really do good I'm actually I'm excited glad. except it sucked being with kids that i got close to that i'm not going to see again because it's not my school right and maybe know, next summer. But yeah. But it went good. It went really well. Good. And now we're going to ease into the going back to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the school supplies have been out at the stores for oh a God, while. I saw so many people yesterday shopping for it's school so supplies. Such a nostalgic feeling it to is. walk into a store and see the notebooks oh, yeah. and the, the trapper pens keepers. And pencils, the tra- yeah, all that. <laughs> they it's still like, have oh, trapper man. keepers. It was like the one thing I liked about going back to school was the back to school supplies and clothes. <laughs> but it, oh, and it's funny because I told the kids about Washington, the school I work at, about the spooky stuff that's mm. happened there. And they said, well, have you noticed anything weird here? And I said, no. And then, So like, where this, were you for summer Wilson, school? Okay. At Wilson. And I then know the, the difference. And then the second day, the second last day, uh, the kids were outside and I forgot something up in the room. So I ran up to the room and on the way out, I was walking past the boy's bathroom and I heard somebody say something in there and I'm like, there's not supposed to be a kid in here. I went in there and there was nobody oh, there. So weird. But I clear as day heard somebody say something in that like bathroom. Like an echoing yeah, voice. Yeah. So that's weird. Hmm. So I don't know what it is with schools. They're just haunted. I have a lot of history, a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very emotional, oh, yeah, especially dramatic school. time. You're going yeah. through all the changes and stuff. Totally. I could see energy holding on there yeah. or staying there. Uh, give some shout outs to our newest strangers. And there's two of them this time. I see someone requested today, but they didn't answer the question. No, but yet. I don't think so you're they're gonna going have to. to. Yeah. yeah, it seems like one <laughs> of those. Going to. We always can kind of gauge whether or not they actually yeah. are going to listen or whether they aren't going to, or yep. they're just clicking on stuff at random. But shout outs to our newest strangers. And those are Joe Metz and Andrea Olarte. I think it's Olarte. Seems... Uh, she posted something in the group this morning. But she said she's been listening for years. Oh, is she the one who posted the Coral yeah. Castle? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
And it's so cool. I just I saw, saw I really, that. I love those pictures. She, mm-hmm. But it's just weird to me to think that just people that have listened for years and have never joined the strangers. Think of all because the people who are listening know, we don't know about. to me, like I said, when I think about it, I think about the people that I know from the strangers or I'm starting to know the people on Instagram too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just so weird to think about people that listen and that we don't know about. Right. So who are hey just reaching hey out listeners now. that we don't know about. Yeah, Thank exactly. you for listening to us. We love you too. <laughs> uh, yes, we do. Jump into our housekeeping. Mm-hmm, We've mm-hmm. teased about this for a while, but Chris and I have been talking and about the money that we're getting from you people that are amazing and giving us, you're giving us money for the side sessions and just mm-hmm. giving us money just to be awesome. What we're thinking about doing is next year, and this this will probably first come out i'm guessing when we have first for old time strangers know this but newer strangers might not know that we generally stop our season around thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and then pick up again middle of january yep we take a winter break we take a winter break uh we'll probably you know there's there's been rumors about christmas shows possibly but may or may not exist yeah (laughs) but we might release a side session or something too along there Mm -hmm. so the wait isn't so bad yeah we usually don't leave you hanging no but during that time what i think krista and i are going to do is we're going to come up with a list maybe 10 maybe 20 even let strangers add ones to it but we're going to come up with a list of like places around the country that are supposedly haunted or are infamous for something like the Stanley Hotel, mm-hmm. uh, the Queen Mary, and we're going to put a poll up in the strangers and whatever wins next summer, we're talking about possibly taking a trip there and doing an episode from there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe a Facebook live from there or something. Yeah. But it's just yep. like I'm due for a vacation. It's been forever since I went on a vacation. Yeah, me too. And this money's there and it's just we've used it for the P.O. box some uh we bought the camera a couple other things which we the, would use at the, during that yeah trip. we would take the good camera maybe do sort of a little documentary yeah. that we would post for yeah everyone but it's to like watch. what are we gonna do with this money and then that just popped into our head to actually go like mm-hmm. i would love to stay at the stanley but that's pricey <sighs> yeah and we're like today i'm gonna bring up a possible place that's gonna be super cheap because okay. you know oh, so it's it, for today's episode. yeah it's yeah. gonna be depending on like the money situation and how much we have and so i think when we're selecting places for people to vote on we need to select realistic destinations yeah. that aren't well, like, gonna be like too the expensive. stanley would be realistic if we stayed for just one night or yeah. two nights it's kind of a long trek though for wait where is the stanley colorado oh that's yeah uh, but i've always wanted to go to colorado you would want to drive too right not fly. depends on where it is yeah would you would jim drive oh he would totally drive okay because i'm not yeah oh. I would be okay driving too. I hate flying. <laughs> I will avoid flying at all costs. And so. this is all stuff we'll have to decide when yeah. the time comes. But we want to use that money to go to one of these places that we've talked about. Yep. You and know, do we an think that would be cool. We think episode. you guys would like that having mm-hmm. an on location episode. So that's the plan right now. Yeah. Well, so would we even be open to meeting up with some people in that area if they felt like it? That's so scary. That is scary. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think about that part. I didn't think about that part of it. But yeah, and if we tell I mean, people where we're going and when, people may just show up. I, I know, don't know. I know. I didn't think about that part. But we'll have to. We'll have to mull that piece well, over. <laughs> I'd be. I'd be okay with that. I mean, if we just went out to eat or something like that. Sure. Not like a. Not going to a club or anything like that. But just went out for like a lunch or something. <laughs> we're not gonna like go that. clubbing. I'm not gonna oh, go yeah. clubbing. Like lunch or something. Yeah. Would be fun. Um. So yeah, that's kind of what we're thinking about doing. So yeah. we wanted to let you we're guys excited. know. And now that we're doing these strange cities, now I'm kind of like looking at these places to think, would that place, would that place be someplace we'd want to go? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. We're excited. 
what do you have any other housekeeping that you can think of? Probably. Um, wow. Long stretch of silence. I can edit that out. I, <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about um, doing better with our merch. I kind of made a really lame effort to <laughs> get a couple t-shirts. Not our um, our Toy and Tile t-shirts. Those are amazing. We still have those, by the way. We have um, various sizes that are still available. We still have mugs that are available. But I I would like to maybe use some of the mon- money to buy like a, a um, editing like Photoshop or something like that. I'd have to research what, what there is to make actual t-shirt designs and logos yeah. Yeah. because I don't have anything like that. And so what I did yeah. make on Public or Public, whatever we're going through, they're really kind of generic looking. Yeah. And I'm thankful to the people who have bought t-shirts. Um, I know Sophie and Adam maybe both have them. I know Rhonda has bought. Yeah. And Brian, I think, yep. in Buffalo has bought. Yep. So that's... Corey. Corey, oh, the Corey. kids. Yep. Yeah. I think they got these. Yeah. Did I tell you about that with going up north? That Eric Orheim, one of our listeners, he sent us... I think he sent us the pickle book, the bad pickle joke oh, book. He's he's, he's book. a very good friend of mine. He's a, one of our... He's been listening from the start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Asher, my nephew, went up north. And it turned out Eric knows the people at that house. So Eric was up there too. Oh, weird. And Eric... That's a weird coincidence. Yeah. That's what I said. But then Asher was wearing his Strange Sessions t-shirt. So then Eric saw that. He's like, What? So he talked to oh, him and he funny. didn't know that Asher was my nephew. <laughs> so I just thought that was so cool. That is an interesting coincidence. Yeah. I love it. That's a synchronicity right but there. But yeah, like like t-shirts, stuff like that would be mm-hmm. cool. And I would love to do little things like a t-shirt that says, but is the dog okay? Or like yeah. fun little catchphrases that we're known for using. Yep. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. So oh. uh, that's something I'm thinking about doing and getting better about merch. People asked for it for a long time and... We've done a couple of things, but not a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I don't also don't want to put a ton of money into it either because I mean, who knows if anybody's going to actually purchase anything? Exactly. So. Uh, we got a sweet email from one of our listeners using her nickname Grim. Oh yeah, she Grim. said, "Hi, Kurt and Krista. My friend and I love your show, and we thought you might like to look into some mysterious things in my home of Rutherford County, Texas." Texas, Tennessee. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the T and I thought Texas. Rutherford County, Tennessee. It's home to multiple Civil War battles and the Stone River Park even has a haunted place called the Slaughter Pens. That sounds Ooh, like it's going to be haunted. Sounds delightful. It's a natural rock formation that the Confederate soldiers used to kill Union soldiers. My dad and I went there and it truly is creepy even during the day. And for Krista, we even have a redneck Bigfoot called Skunk Ape and a monster called the Red Cheetah. I hope you guys look into this one day. P.S. My best friend is the one who sent you the crochet owl and kitty magnets which are i still have at home in my fridge there's my crochet owl yep, right there yep it's a whole it's um, they're both on my fridge yeah and i'm totally aware of skunk ape i have not heard of the yeah. red cheetah though yeah so maybe your next strange states tennessee? will be tennessee let's do that it would be a perfect one and she is somebody who has shares a name with another famous person actress. And i was like oh yeah. wouldn't that be funny but it's not it's not the actual actress <laughs> we're okay with that though yeah yes we are <laughs> thanks for writing uh, us, we have a nice postcard we got a couple postcards we yeah. got postcards from do you want to read them? Because I didn't, I, again, I have no glasses. Down oh, here. shoot. Yeah. Hold on. We got awesome postcards from Coleman who sent us pictures of Chad Lewis, Chad who Lewis, we talked who about we, in yeah. our, was it in the last episode or was it the side sessions? I think it was the last episode. It was episode. the last episode. And he wrote on both of them, he said, keep up the great work, Kurt and Krista, stay strange. That's awesome. And you said you hadn't gotten postcards in a while, so I figured I'd send you a couple. You both do a great job. Keep it up. Stay strange. Coleman, we, we love, love you. you. You are so awesome. And we got this one that I actually have to take my glasses off for. You have to take your glasses off to read them. Yes. I have to put them on. <laughs> yeah. So we're just a hot mess here. 
This one is from listener Matt. It says, Hello, I'm Matt W. Sending this postcard that we sell in the museum where I listen to y'all, y'all's obviously Southern, while I work. Been an avid listener since last summer when I found your episode about subliminal messages. Ooh, nice. I would love to join your Facebook group, but I don't trust Mark Zuckerberg with my info. <laughs> <laughs> totally, 100% we, yeah, agree with you. Yeah, we don't blame you. you. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> I introduced my boyfriend to your podcast, and we love listening to y'all. And I love this part. <laughs> I had to get used to y'all's accents at first because I was never really exposed to the Wisconsin accents. <laughs> Kurt, you sound like Kermit to us. Kermit? Kermit. Like Kermit the Like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> And I totally can see that now when I talk. Like, I think I do kind of sound like Kermit the oh Frog. Oh, my God. That's so funny. So now I'm like... It's very endearing. It is. But now I, when I hear myself talk, I think of Kermit, which is weird. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, you need to do an... Oh, this is weird. You need to do an episode on the Bell Witch of Tennessee. So obviously, Tennessee is what the we got to do next. Bell Witch of Tennessee? Yeah. Oh, that is a weird synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. So more Tennessee. I guess we got to hmm. do that next. I have a copy of A Mysterious Spirit, The Bell Witch of Tennessee by Charles Bailey Bell that details the family's encounters with the spirit. I recommend this book as it is the real family member's testimony. If you can't find it, I'd be happy to email you some pictures, some pages. Just let me know. And he gives his email. We love you guys, Matt. Aww, we love you we guys love you too. too Thank you so much. And yeah. Okay, so let me I, take pictures of those. I totally do think I sound like Kermit the Frog. Awesome. I'm always excited to get postcards. I am too. Gonna, okay, what do we do next? Next, we got a package from my cousin Shayna that listens to the show. Hi, Shayna. Hi, Shayna. Love you. On... I miss you. I haven't seen you in forever. I know she's on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Is she on Facebook? I believe so. Okay. It says, FYI, not a taste test item. Good. We're good with taste test items, yeah, you guys. We are And I'm annoyed because Corey gave me one that I really, really wanted to try, and I forgot it at home. So oh, that'll be shoot. next episode. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> oh. I just love all the Bigfoot stuff. Okay. Let's see. <laughs> oh, there's a card. Do you want to open it? Sure. Okay. Oh, these are so cute. We need a pizza server <gasps> that we can put stuff on and then zoom it across the table. We d I do have a pizza peel. Do you? I do, yes. Hey, I make a lot of homemade pizza. Oh, dear Kurt and Krista, Cora Lynn, niece to me, cousin's daughter to Kurt, and I spent some time in Door County a few weeks ago. This is what she picked out for you all. Also, this card is a picture of one of my favorite roads in Door County. <gasps> I know exactly made, where that is. <laughs> made me think of you all as I listen to your podcast while on the road. Stay strange, Shana. So that uh, is a road that leads. It's in it's Gills so Rock. Curvy. Yeah, it's in. It literally. That's exactly how it looks in the fall. It's amazing. It leads. It's in Gills Rock, and it leads to where you would go to take the ferry to Washington yeah. Island. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for the card. That is so pretty. I love that road. We may have taken it when we took our I little trip up there. Okay, this will go there. I'm going to put this. What, what is it? That would help, huh? It's Bigfoot scat. <laughs> <laughs> it is cryptozoological play putty. Wow. That is, that's supposed to look like Bigfoot scat. So it's brown. That's what, Cor that's what yeah. Coraline picked for us? Straight from the all-time hide-and-seek champion. That's awesome. I love the little tin that it comes in. We're going to have to make our hutch just Bigfoot stuff. It's mostly Bigfoot stuff. We love our Bigfoot poop, Coraline. Thank you so yes. much. 
That's and, awesome. And there's a little sticker that says Door County. And it That's has a awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. Yes, thank you. Love Those you both. Gonna, these are going to go with the postcards up on our whiteboards that are starting to finally look like that one. I don't even know if I've ever even seen Coraline. I mean, our family doesn't really get together anymore. So we got to do something together one day because I miss you guys. So thank you so much, Shana and Coraline. Should I open this box? That's a taste test item. So we can do the other oh, stuff first. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so thank you so up. much, guys. Yes, thank you. I love the Bigfoot poop. That, rem- that reminds me, we have another taste test item at home from... We have so many taste tests. I know. <laughs> I know. We have another taste test item at home that I'll bring down next week with the one from Corey. Okay. Sounds good. So yeah, we are good with taste test stuff for the rest of the season, you guys. So was there stuff from Stephanie we were going to... Yeah, we're going to taste something from her and okay. something from... Hang on. Weren't there three things or were there only two? Coleman? I think we're only going to do... You said three. <laughs> the strain sessions where we make decisions in the moment. Ooh, I've had these too. I thought there... Yeah, you said we were going to do three taste tests. The Whatever's in the fridge. These I love. Something from Stephanie and something from Coleman. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, we have something... We, I still have stuff at home from Carl. Oh, from Carl, we still of, have stuff from Denmark, from Mexico. Yeah, so we got to get through our taste test stuff. <laughs> and by <laughs> the way, whole... I'm so sorry I didn't say this earlier. If you're 20 minutes in and you're like, oh my God, when are they going to get to the stupid topic? Because this is crap. I don't want to listen to this. Just hit pause and check the show notes. Kurt puts the timestamp yes. of the actual topic start. We usually try to say this as soon as we hit record and I forgot. <laughs> And if this is your first time tuning in, yeah. it's pretty normal Sorry. for us to forget to do stuff. Yes, it is. It's like part of the <laughs> show. actually forgotten to do a taste test before. So. This is from our much beloved listener, Carl Wagner, who sent us a box of stuff from Arizona. Okay. So, Carl, I've had this before. I actually have this quite a bit. Okay. I'm assuming you might have too. Carl like was nice enough to send us some mexican coke Ooh, and not the nose coke. candy kind of coke like the drinkable kind <laughs> oh, of god coke. i hope not yeah no i don't think i have had it i love and there's i read like Is it like spicy or something i actually belong to a I've, i'm a member of a subreddit just about soda okay. and there's just lots of people like that debate whether or not mexican soda is better than Mexican Coke is better than regular Coke okay. because it ha- this has actual sugar Quit in shaking it. it. He's like shaking it around oh, as he talks. This has, <laughs> this has actual sugar in it as opposed oh, to, 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 or to yeah, the corny syrup, whatever corny that's called. <laughs> but there's people that swear by this and say it's so much better. It comes in a glass bottle. It's made with real Old sugar. School. It's a high fructose corn syrup. Okay. So I have this all the time. I can actually get this at so, my store. I was going to say, where do you get it? Just I, the You get it anywhere. Store? I can get it at Meyer. I can oh, okay. get it at Pick and Save. Coolio. If you want to take a pull off of it. I'm, I'll put it in. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Smells like Coke. See, like you don't might not drink enough soda that you can't tell a difference. <laughs> but people people say, and I don't even really know what this means, but this is crisper. And I feel like it is crisper, but I can't explain what it is. Yeah, I can't remember the last time it's I had regular It's not so aftertasty? Coke. Yes, there's not as much no, as aftertaste. It's not, and it's like more fizzy or bubbly. And I'm guessing that's the sugar versus the high the corn fructose syrup. corn syrup. Yeah, but there's people that swear by this, but I'll buy this. Hmm. Like when I see it in the store, it's like a buck twenty-five or something like that. It has a smoother aftertaste. It I does. know what you're saying. It does. Like, hmm. I don't know. It, I think it tastes better, but there's some people that say no, that they actually, it tastes just like... Hmm. So I don't know. I I love it. Again, I haven't had regular Coke in decades, yeah. but it tastes how I remember Coke tasting, yeah. but minus that sort of 
It's not a bitter aftertaste. I can't no. really explain it. I give it a 10 out of 10 because I think as far as Coca-Cola goes, it's perfect. I mean, I don't think there's, you could change anything. Well, you know me. I'm a, not a soda no. person. I, I'd give it like a 7, though. A 7? That's pretty good. It is pretty good for you. For me, that's pretty good. Okay. Yum. Yum. This next one Yum. is from... This next one is for going to be all sugared up. <laughs> this next one is from <laughs> Coleman. I okay. actually have these quite a bit, too. I get these at Meyer when I get the, the Coca-Cola. Okay. And I bought these for my students, and my students go nuts about them. It is Pocky. You never had Pocky? I don't think so. It's a Japanese snack. Okay. Uh, there's tons of different flavors. There's a green tea one that's actually really mm. good too. But we, we used to sit closer together. <laughs> oh. So are they sort of like crackery? They're type like crackery. They're like crackery sticks? with like a chocolatey dip Ooh. on them. They're so good. So these are strawberry flavored. Yes. Oh, These ones are crunchy. I've never had the crunchy ones. But yeah, I bought these for my students already because they love Japanese anime. So, I mean, they all know what Pockies are. But I absolutely interesting. love Pockies. Okay. They're a perfect little snack. Let me give it a sniff test. Ooh, really smells like strawberry. Oh. Ready? Okay, ready? Mmm. They're good in coffee. Stir your coffee oh, with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those are Pockies. Mm. 10 out of 10 Very again. Good. 10 out of 10. I mean, I love Pockies. I'm going to try stirring my coffee with it. There's a I'm banana one. I, of course, would like just plain chocolate. There is just a chocolate one. Mm. There is just a plain chocolate one. It really has a distinct strawberry flavor. I don't know. To it and too. I love the cracker part mm. of it, too. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's Pockies. Krista, that is delicious. Krista had her first Pocky. I did. I'm giving that a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 for me, too. Mm-hmm. And this is from... Oh, we have two more gifts. These are from Stephanie. Stephanie. These next, the, the taste test and the gifts are from Stephanie in Arizona. Stephanie, love you. Thank you so much for sending us this stuff. I'm going to give this to Krista. If she doesn't want it, I'll use it. Okay. By the way, this strawberry flavor, there's something really nostalgic about it. Yeah. It's, yeah, there is. It is a, I believe, Bigfoot... Air freshener for your car. Well, so we've got that's we have another air freshener. We do. Yeah, I don't use stuff in my car like that, but I would hang it up down here. Hey, we can hang it up down here, and then yeah. once we once we take the stuff down, cute. I'll use it because I do hang air fresheners in my car. That's cute. That is super cute. And by the way, the puzzle is maybe yeah yeah they're working on the Bigfoot puzzle. Maybe half done. Mm-hmm. Jim's Jim's mostly doing it. I don't seem to have the patience for it lately. <laughs> I really have to be in the mood to do a, a puzzle. puzzle. And there's still pine stuff. Scent. Ooh, this is pine scent. There's still stuff coming it. from the box from Stephanie. So yeah. Stephanie, wow. thank you so much. So generous. And this I love because I think we're gonna probably go to this now. Instead of because we're running out of our bad pickle jokes, she sent us 400 facts about Chuck Norris. <laughs> Who doesn't love Chuck Norris? It says, in case you want to replace a joke with a stupid Chuck Norris fact. Well, of course I do. Uh-huh. Some are funny. Some are stupid. I'm going to take a picture. Oh, my God. Just the cover alone. It's going to be stuff like when Chuck Norris went off to college. He told his dad that his dad's the man of the house now. Uh, huh. well, we're going to read one of these today. Yeah. Because we're run, we're actually running out of the pickles pickle jokes. We are. We're getting. Fi- oh, thank God, we're finally getting <laughs> to the end of the pickle jokes. <laughs> so now we got our Chuck Norris stuff. I don't know how many more pickle jokes we can take. 
And yeah, we either need to go back to that sitting book across. Is a joke. We need to either go back to sitting across from each other and get something to make this easier. I'm getting a workout. Oh, this is the taste this test. This is a taste test item. Ooh, cactus candy. That's interesting. Sour. Prickly pear sour. Prickly belt. pear sour. I don't I don't know. I'm I can be I've had sour Are you stuff. You'd be offended by that? I could be. <laughs> sour stuff is weird. Ooh, look, did you see or hear how easily I opened it? Yeah, I was kind of impressed. Boom. It reminds me of what is that tape? That fruit tape. Oh, it smells really good. Here. I'll give you that. Like like candy that's like tape. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sort of like a fruit roll-up, but it's I do not know what you're talking tape. about. I think you're high. Someone out there knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> damn it. Oh, this is a big piece. It looks like a tongue. I'm ge- It does look like a tongue. I'm guessing <laughs> it's sweet on the outside because it looks like it's coated in sugar. It's kind of like at, you. Kind of like you. Sweet on the outside, sour on the inside. sour on the inside. <laughs> That's me. We're at 30 minutes already, by the way. I know. This I knew this was going to really be long. Really long. Yep. Okay, are you ready? Ready. Oh, it's not sweet at all. Kirk can't even. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It's so sour. <laughs> oh, my God. It literally like forces you to squint your eyes closed I because thought, it's so mm. sour. Oh, my God. I expected more sweetness. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. When you get to the center. It's the opposite of what you think it's going to be. The outside is sour and the inside is sweet. I think it's the center, yep. Once I got past the sour stuff on the outside, it's better. <gasps> that was jarring. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. has a very distinct flavor to it, too. Prickly pear. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's actually really good. Yeah, it's not bad once you get past the sour stuff on the yeah. outside. <laughs> I was expecting it to be sweet on the outside and sour on the inside. Oh. <sighs> But that's sour. What's sour? It has a weird taste, though. I love my my. Uh, I think my Snapple drink has prickly pear flavoring in it. Mm. I like prickly pear flavoring. I think this is really good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a eight. Ooh, I'm just because it's too sour. I'm going with a six. You're not a fan of the prickly pear? Uh uh-uh. uh. Well, that, that sour bit on the outside was a bit much. Okay. Now I gotta chew through this before I, I can know, actually. Right? It's yeah, it's not easy to chew either. It took some effort to bite a piece off. Oh, I'm exhausted from all these taste tests. <laughs> you like the pockies though. Mm-hmm. Okay, while I'm chewing and trying to get this down before we start actually talking about the episode, this is like our longest ever titillating twenty. Cause it's thirty three. Yeah. <laughs> Although <laughs> Although some's gonna get edited out. Yeah, that we we always start recording early for our sidesters yeah. so they can get some unedited stuff at the beginning. But there's a lot of stuff that'll be edited out, yeah. even for them. So probably, probably about twenty five minutes long. So we apologize. Actually, no, they're, they're just going to get this whole thing unedited. Yeah, but our regular everybody else. Yeah. So we apologize. This goes so long. But the one last thing we want to bring up is that Krista and I, Krista and I were texting back and forth yesterday because I she was talking about books and then I got her a book from the library in Manitowoc and brought it down here that I really liked called the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, Evelyn Hardcastle. So Krista and I talked about the possibility of doing a book club podcast, mm-hmm. but would that be something where we would pick a book 
would it be like every two weeks where we would say we're yeah, going we to discuss this book? Yeah, we need to give people book? time to read it. Yeah. Would that be something that you guys would be interested in? We we'd say, probably stick to horror slash suspense or mystery themed books. But we'd probably end up doing little like ones here or there that maybe didn't fall into that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but is that something that you guys would like? That we say, all right, two weeks, we're going to have this book read, The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. And then we'd have a podcast where Chris and I would talk about it. Would that be something you guys would like? And you could send us what you guys thought of the book? Yeah. You know. and, it, and to be clear, it would not be part of this podcast. No, it would be, it would be a, a whole side separate. Project. It would be a whole separate project. It wouldn't even be part of the side sessions. No. It would be a totally separate podcast that we haven't come up with a name yet. Yeah, <laughs> so we're still working on a name. But would that be something that you guys would be interested in? Because we it would extend our recording day, and if it's something that people kind of don't really care about, we wouldn't do it. Yeah, we don't want to put the time into it. If but just let us know. But we're both avid readers, so mm-hmm. we. I mean, it wouldn't be any change to that. But mm-hmm. let me know what you think. And of this they book. would maybe only be twenty to thirty minutes long. They yeah. wouldn't be long episodes. Yeah. So let us know if that's something you guys would be interested in. You can just leave, send us an email, or leave a message at the strangers or on Instagram. So anywhere, are you ready to jump in today's topic? I'm ready. I'm going to be chewing through the facts, so sorry about that. <laughs> You're really working on that. I like this candy. I'm knocking it up a notch okay. because I really like it. So today's episode is a Strange States episode, and we are doing New York. Yeah, New York. We're doing you. We are. <laughs> Kurt and Krista do New York. <laughs> Kurt and Krista do New York. <laughs> Our lovely listener, Brian Young, is very very much a new yorker he's from buffalo he's very new york proud so mm-hmm. brian this one's for you buddy What's up, Bri? hope you like this um as always we start with facts fun facts about new york so i have six of them fun fact number six and i'm going down descending order i'm trying to actually do this all the same way okay so fun fact number six you are 10 times more likely to be bitten by a new yorker than you are a shark Oh my god! So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, there's a lot of shark stuff lately. There are mm-hmm. a lot of shark attacks. Mm-hmm. They're probably peeled that we're screwing with the everything, the water climate, and the water. Yep, we deserve to be eaten. <laughs> yes, yeah. you are ten times more likely to be bitten by a New Yorker than you are a shark, and okay. I believe that. Yep. I've been to New York, and I actually really, really like New York City. Mm-hmm. I haven't been outside of New York City. But I've only been to Manhattan, so we're going to be talking about some place in this episode that might end up on our list of places we want to go to. Okay. Oh yes, yeah, so you told me that. Yep. I'm Fun fact okay. number five. And I thought this was cool. The world's smallest church is found on, in Oneida, New York. Hmm. The Cross Island Chapel is 51 inches by 81 inches, making it large enough to seat two people. So that's a small. Wow, church. I'm trying to picture that in my head. That's very inches. small. Wow. Okay. But home to the smallest church. Fun fact number four. 15,152 forms of life have been found in the New York subway system. Oh, that's freaky. (laughs) It's freaky. It's like the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. 15,152 forms of life have been found in the New York subway system. Weird. So weird. Like discovered? No, but just like they have been in there. Yeah, just living in there. Yeah. Okay. And I'm guessing that goes from germs all the way up to... Yeah, rodents. Rodents and and humans. Other small animals (laughs) and humans, yeah. This one I thought was cool because I never knew about this. Fun fact number three, on a quiet day, one can hear a faint hum coming from the subway grates between 45th and 46th streets in Times Square. 
This sound is not part of the natural buzz of the city, but it's a sound art installation installed by the late Max Newhouse in 1977. I've actually heard about this. I never knew that. I've seen an article on it. That's so cool. And I think people and pe- and don't pe- even know. No. So tourists will stop and take pictures of it. Yeah. And they don't realize that it's not actually the subway. It's no, that just it's a, a hum of an art yeah, exhibit. I think funny. that's so cool. Like mm-hmm. I never knew that. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I don't remember when I was there. I don't think we were anywhere near, but we were in Times Square. So, But I don't okay. know how close this is to yeah, Times Square. Yeah, I don't Square. either. I've been to Times Square too. But I just think this is so cool. Number two, fun fact number two, this is for you, Brian. The most widely believed story about the creation of buffalo wings is that Teresa Bellissimo invented them at the Anchor Bar in Buffalo, New York when she received chicken wings instead of the chicken neck she had ordered and she needed something to do with them. A chicken neck? Yeah. Who orders a chicken neck? I don't know. <laughs> I thought that too, but she accidentally got chicken wings instead. So she was trying to think of something to do with them huh. and came up with the idea of buffalo wings. All right. Uh, Brian loves his buffalo wings. He says there's one place there. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but he says it is the yeah. best wings. Uh, he is definitely a, a wings person. I'd like, uh, I'm kind of a wimp and I like boneless wings. I'm not a fan of bone in So much buff- work. I know, but I love boneless wings. <laughs> it's a lot of work for very little return yes. if you ask me. I love bone- boneless wings. And the thing is, I love buffalo boneless wings, but they have to be just right. Okay. They they can't like the be sauce? they can't be overly spicy, mm-hmm. but they also can't be under spiced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love just a just when you can taste like the the red hot sauce in there. Like so, where in Wisconsin or in this area? Actually, I go to Ring of Fire in Shoto. There's it's a okay. tavern, it's a bar, okay. and they have the best bar food. And they have Shoto think, sounds like a little hole in the wall type. It is. It's okay. a very little hole in the wall type, but they have an amazing bar and they serve the best food and it's really reasonably priced. And I was there the other day actually and got, I get a full order of wings, which is a huge order of, of boneless wings for nine, nine bucks. Mm. And I got half buttery buffalo and half buttery garlic. And That's the thing about so wings good. too, is I think they're usually pretty reasonable yeah, price wise. They are. But I love them. I do. And you, it's weird because I don't like spicy things. I don't like Tabasco sauce. But for some reason, I love buffalo wings. Hmm. So okay. go figure. Yeah. And as always, with fun fact number one, we have strange laws from New York. In New York, it is illegal to place an ice cream cone in your pocket in public on Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> When attending a concert in New York, it is illegal to snack on peanuts while walking backwards on the sidewalk. Oh, come on. In New Who York, comes up with this stuff? In New York, and this is unfortunate, I don't even, how did this even become a law? In New York, it's against the law to pee on pigeons in the park. So the, that's the funny thing is all of these things had to be, become laws because, <laughs> because they were a something. problem at Who one point. Who was peeing on pigeons in the park and why? Who was putting ice cream cones <laughs> in, their in their pockets? It's okay on every day except Sundays. Except you Sunday. Can. Uh, in New York, and I didn't know this, in New York, if you are caught flirting, you can be fined $25. Oh, dang. Yep. And lastly, and again, why? Uh, lastly, in New York, it is illegal to allow your donkey to sleep in your bathtub. <laughs> well, darn it. What if my donkey <laughs> likes my don- bathtub? <laughs> poor donkey. Jeez. Yeah. So there you go. There are some New Who York facts. a donkey in New York? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, there's a lot of wilderness in New York. So Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I never, when I, and it's it sucks and it's a very... I don't want to say like anybody outside of New York just thinks big city. Just thinks when I think of New York, I think of New York City. I mm-hmm. don't think of of Buffalo. I don't think of all these towns surrounding mm-hmm. New York City and how much wilderness there yeah. is. Yep, I that's agree. why this kind of surprised me. Totally. So there you go. Some fun facts about New York. 
Uh, we're getting into cryptids now. And what surprised me, I told Krista, I think, before we started recording, is that there wasn't really a lot for New York. Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of cryptids. There weren't a ton of haunted places. That kind of surprised me. So we're going with cryptids, um, starting with number six that I threw in here, just because it's not really a cryptid, but it's more like an urban legend thing, and that is Cropsy. Oh, Cropsy. Yep. From an article on the lineup.com called, quote, Cropsy, the terrifying urban legend brought to life, the article says, So in the 1970s, an urban legend started showing up on Staten Island about a killer named Cropsy. Legend said that he was an escaped mental patient with a hook for a hand who stalked and hunted children at night and dragged them back to a tunnel system that lay underneath the abandoned ruins of the old Seaview Hospital, a former tuberculosis sanitarium, where he would torture and kill them. It's your typical creepy urban legend that parents would use to frighten their kids into coming home before dark or that friends would use to scare each other when they were out at night. It's also the basis for a 1981 slasher movie called The Burning, which I think I've seen back in the the day. The Burning. The Burning. But then things took a weird turn in the 80s when children and teens really did start disappearing. Nearby was the Willowbrook State School, which which was just a god-awful place. According to the article, Willowbrook State School on Staten Island, a place whose name alone has the power to frighten adults and children alike, <laughs> the institution was built as a respite for children with intellectual disabilities, and the school was revealed to be a living hell in the 1970s, although authorities wouldn't close the school until 1987. The children there had been subjected to rampant sexual abuse Ugh. and corporal punishment, and severe overcrowding led to very unsanitary conditions. It was also home to what has been called one of the most unethical medical experiments on children in the United States. In the name of hepatitis research, medical staff intentionally injected healthy children with a hepatitis virus, many whom became severely ill as a result. Oh my gosh. And I just can't fathom. No, I can't either. And I mean, there's, Why would there's, you do there's that? so many occurrences of, of mm-hmm. doing that throughout history. You know, Like these people are disposable. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. You know, it was almost Sickening. like this was a place to throw away your mentally right. disabled kids to get sexually so molested, to get too. beaten, to get yeah. to get injected with the hepatitis virus. Wow. The public wasn't aware of the conditions inside the school, given that many of the children inside had sadly been abandoned by their parents and the foster care system, leading to little accountability. In 1972, a young reporter named Geraldo Rivera published an expose that revealed the horrific conditions inside the Willowbrook State School and ignited a national scandal. The school was officially closed 15 years later, and the negative publicity contributed to the successful passage of federal civil rights legislation that protects the mentally disabled and other people who have been institutionalized. That same year, Andre Rand, former janitor of the School of Horrors, was arrested in connection with the disappearance of Jennifer Schweiger, a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome. At the time, Rand was homeless and living in a makeshift campsite on the grounds of the abandoned school, not far from the ruinous Seaview Hospital that was so closely tied to the Cropsey legend. Over a month after her disappearance, searchers found her body in a shallow grave on the school grounds where the drifter was living. He was charged with murder. Rand is believed to have killed at least four more children and teens whose bodies have never been found. He will be eligible for parole in 2037. Oh, dang. There are some people who question whether he actually committed the crimes or not. There's a really good documentary on it called Cropsy. I didn't get a chance to I watch it I think it's it on yet. Discovery Plus. I think it is. I because I've run be. across it. But I think I might have seen it on Tubi, too. Hmm. But it might just be like a bad movie based on it. 
But no, yeah, there that's is a just, documentary. I was going to mention that. That's a case of a, like an urban legend that kind of ended up ended up coming true, or sort being of true. being yeah. truish with with this guy mm-hmm. killing the kids. What is it about? And there's probably no answer to this. What is it about asylums, asylums and institutions like this that attracts people who abuse? these people i don't understand why i don't this know is such a i don't know thing. part of me part of me wonders if if you start working there and you don't you have the go, best of intentions you don't you have the something. best of intentions but then you just get frustrated because the system isn't set yeah. up correctly and you see other and people doing stuff to the, the the inmates we'll get to inmates later that's not a whole, even that's inmates, a whole nother we got a whole, no that's for that's for coming up we got a okay. whole nother section later on an asylum but yeah that's that, that's to, to me I can't I'm sure there's people that go in there with bad intentions but I just yes. have a feeling that you turn into that after a while mm. you know I don't know but that is Cropsy cryptid slash creature number five hi-hat 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 okay from the buffalonews.com article on February 14th 1993 called quote where the ghosts walk storyteller Deuce Bowen and the spirits of the Seneca Nation the article says the occupants of family-filled campers, the drivers of the 18-wheelers and the other motorists whizzing along on the Southern Tier Expressway just west of Salamanca don't realize it, but they're driving through a place haunted by a flesh-eating monster known as Hi-Hat. Mm. Deuce Bowen, a member of the Seneca Nation of Indians, knows about these creatures. I'm a ghost storyteller by trade, he says. His stories are the ones that he heard during the 1940s and 50s when he was growing up in the Seneca Nation. Not far from Salamanca, the expressway is bordered by large swampy areas. Bowen says, quote, that's Hi-Hat's domain. Hi-Hat is one of the more unique supernatural beings said to prowl the Seneca Nation lands. He never ventures far from his home in the swamps. He's said to be a tall creature that wears a stovepipe hat and white gloves. He's also a flesh eater. People used to hang big pieces of meat in the trees so Hi-Hat wouldn't dine on their livestock or their children. Oh, good Lord. In one of Bowen's stories... The swamp creature carried away a little girl and put her up in a thorn tree. The child is found by searchers and rescued, though, before Hi-Hat returns. Not a very nice guy. No. From a buffalorising.com article from October 31st, 2015, called, quote, The 13 Creepies of the Western Door, (laughs) the article says, The Western Door is a nickname for Seneca Territory, Western New York. One of the standouts in the territory of the Allegheny Seneca Reservation is a bestial figure known as Hi-Hat. A marsh dweller, Hi-Hat was no easy neighbor. He was a giant cannibal with a mouthful of sharp teeth and a fondness for the tender flesh of children. The Seneca called him Hi-Hat because in some reports he's wearing a stovepipe hat and he reminded people of President Abraham Lincoln. They may not be the only ones that see him. The 1960 through 1965 creation of the Kinzua Reservoir brought a lot of non-natives to the reservation territory day after day. More than just one white dam worker spotted a big strange form along the northern shore, typically just before daybreak. The whites didn't know the legends, of course, but the crews got so used to seeing this that they came to look for him. They used to ask each other, quote, has anybody seen old Abe Lincoln today? <laughs> That's weird. That <laughs> I mean, is weird. People legitimately saw this thing that didn't know about the, mm-hmm. the story, but that is hi-hat. <gasps> That's thunder. I just saw lightning and I was like, is that thunder? was that lightning? Yeah, there's a rumbling. We're, we're recording during a thunderstorm. That's exciting. That is exciting. Have we ever done that before? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Maybe at the school, but yeah. certainly not here. So that is Hi-Hat. Hi-Hat, okay. He's the hat man kind of, but he's a cannibal. But he's a cannibal and... Way scarier than the hat man. Yeah. <laughs> White gloves and a 
stovepipe hat. Yeah, that's strange. Cryptid slash creature number four, the Kinderhook Blob. <laughs> the Kinderhook Blob. <laughs> the Kinderhook Blob. Okay. According to Cryptid Wiki, quote, in 1960s New York, no fewer than six witnesses encountered a floating mysterious blob-like creature that was so terrifying that two armed men fled from it in terror. The story of this creature began in Kinderhook, New York. The first report from 1962 comes from a 10-year-old boy and a 7-year-old cousin named Chari. The rest are from people who happened to be in the woods several years later, including one encounter as recent as 2017. According to the boy, he and his cousin were walking in the woods when they saw the creature. The boy, last name Hallenbeck, says, quote, When I was 10 years old in 1962, I was up in the woods behind our house with my cousin, who was then age 7. We both heard this really high-pitched whistle noise. They looked for the source of the sound, and Hallenbeck described, quote, a strange white object peering at me from behind a nearby pine tree. Anything peering at you is never yeah, good. Yeah, it's creepy. A white object peering at me from behind a nearby pine tree. He would later clarify that statement with, I say peering, but it in fact had no eyes that I could really see. The two children ran hastily back to Hallenbeck's parents' home. For two years, all was quiet, but then an unarmed man was hiking through the woods when he saw, quote, a big white blob floating towards him. It terrified him so much that he jumped over a six-foot pond. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I, could, I would have landed smack dab in the middle of it. I would have, it. too. I would have, too. It terrified him so much that he jumped over a pond measuring six feet across. He eventually mustered up the courage to return to the scene with his one skeptical friend, armed with shovels and pitchforks, ready to confront the beast. The friend suddenly turned white as a sheet. He pointed ahead to a white shape, which was hovering through the trees. They both lost courage, dropped their weapons, and ran away. Some people say the third encounter was in 1964, but others say it was 1978. Regardless, this run-in with the beast was by two men named Barry Scott and Russell Lee, who were both 14 at the time. According to them, the first sign that something was out of the ordinary was the sound of stomping outside of their tent. How can it, how can, how it can both float and stomp is also a mystery. Hmm. They peeked outside the tent, and they saw an entity almost identical to the other reports. This time, though, it looked more like a ghost than a typical blob. Both agreed that it floated more than it walked, but Barry described it as, quote, bell-shaped, and Russell described it as, quote, the Virgin Mary. What? Yeah. Okay. The most recent encounter was in 2017 when town locals Owen Farley and Anthony Malinowski witnessed the blob on a late-night walk. According to them, before the sighting, the temperature dropped, and there was a loud, high-pitched screech. The figure, described as, quote, a white blob around seven feet tall, appeared from the woods and floated towards them at high speed, causing the two men to run. Hmm. So that's the Kinderhook blob. The blob. It's weird that a lot of people have seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that sounds... It sounds, sounds far-fetched. It sounds but... far-fetched, but is it a case of people actually seeing it or people just wanting to carry on the, the legend of sure. it? I don't know. But that is the Kinderhook blob. So next one we got a lot for. This one's for Krista. Oh, yeah. Number two. What do you Big think it foot. is? Bigfoot. And I never realized that that New York was like a huge Bigfoot place. Mm-hmm. According to an article on the WIVB.com website from May 10th, 2019, quote, a new survey from the Travel Channel and from Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization shows that New York has some of the highest reported Bigfoot sightings. The report says that New York finished fifth in the United States behind Washington, California, Pennsylvania, and Michigan in sightings of the mythical creature. I guess I always forget Michigan is like up there too. I, I, 
I don't even think I knew that. No, I didn't. I didn't know it to forget it. Yeah, so New York is fifth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so the Travel Channel says Whitehall, New York, which is near the Vermont border, is considered the quote Bigfoot capital of the East Coast. All right. So that might be added to our oh, possible. So cool. Yeah, that's the one that you told me about. Yeah, our possible travel mm-hmm. because this would be cheaper. I mean, it's not. Oh, totally. It's not. A it, huge there's not like a tourist like destination. A, it's not like a haunted hotel. Right. It's more like we could go out in the woods, like record from the woods mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, that would be fun. it would be fun to be out there at night, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like a Bigfoot thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, Krista's excited about I that. I am, I am. I saw your eyes light up at that. But yeah, Bigfoot capital of the East Coast. According to an article on SeranaClark.com from March 9th, 2015, I never know how to pronounce this word. And people in New York are going to laugh at me. Adirondacks? <laughs> Adirondacks. Adirondacks. <laughs> I, I have some word. Adirondack chairs in the backyard. I see that word all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I never knew how to pronounce that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the article is called Bigfoot in the... Adirondacks. Thank you. According to legend, Bigfoot is a giant anthropoid ape-like creature, very hairy and very stinky. This could explain the report of a highly pungent, neglected human smell in a wilderness area near Moody Pond. The Northern Sasquatch Research Society has collected more than 200 eyewitness accounts of encounters. Some of them are seemingly simple, like the reports of rocks being thrown at people. Longtime Sasquatch investigator Bill Brand tells a story of a man who thought the splashing and thunking sounds were from a beaver in the water until the rocks started hitting very close to where he was standing. And that's a Bigfoot thing, Such isn't it? typical Bigfoot behavior. Throwing rocks. Throwing I rocks. always forget yep. that that's a Bigfoot thing. The rocks were the size of basketballs. Once that's pretty big. Is that typically how it's big like they are? It's like a boulder, if you ask yeah. me. I think it varies. Yeah, it varies. I always forget that. I forget knocking on trees. Mm, tree knocking, yep. Yeah, you're, like, you're our Bigfoot expert. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert. We, I'm we an need enthusiast. To do, we need to do another ex- episode on we Bigfoot. We should. We should. I would really like to go to this place. I'd, I'd love to be like out in the woods and we could be like, not necessarily these recorders, but like our digital recorders talking mm-hmm. in the woods so and that they could listen camera, to us. Yeah. 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 And watch us disappear, become like a found footage. <laughs> Come back with Lyme's disease, one of those. Oh, something like that. <laughs> so yeah, they were the size of a basketball. One struck the man's vehicle, but the story did not detail the possible reactions of the insurance adjuster. <laughs> <laughs> My husband remembers a story from when he was a young child spending summers in Sarnak Lake. From the adults talking about it and a memory of its coverage on the local news, he recalls that a woman was driving in a remote area. She stopped because it looked like a bear was lying in the middle of the road. She got a... She then got out of her car to check out the motionless figure, but as she approached it, she realized two things. It wasn't a bear, and it had woken up. She raced back to her car and got in, but the creature pulled the door of her car off. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my god. But at that point, another car appeared and frightened it away. I have not found any accounts of this. It would have taken place in the early 60s before such things were exhaustively cataloged on the internet. Mm -hmm. Wow. Another local story is told by an adult, and it happened in the summer of 1996. A group of friends were camping in the Pine Pond area at the base of Mount Ampersand. At dusk, they were fishing from a canoe. The two were chatting, and the witness was scanning the northern bank of the lake, a place that they were quite familiar with, except there was a strange shape on the edge of the wood line about 50 yards away. When it was pointed out, the friend immediately saw it too. Both recalled later that it reminded them of a black bear standing broadside. They began to roll cautiously towards it. I don't know why they rolled. Yeah, why would you do that? I don't know. (laughs) The friend whispered, it's a bear. But then the shape stood up, revealing that, quote, it had been crouching there on its feet like a catcher from a baseball team. (gasps) That's creepy. Now that it was upright, it looked at least seven feet tall with dark brown hair, 
and a face that was fleshy around the upper cheeks. Dark eyes were clearly visible, but they had a brightness about them. Both agreed that they saw the creature moving its head and hands and that it looked at them for long seconds, maybe as long as 10 seconds, with its head tilted up as though sniffing the air. Hmm. That's creepy. That's super creepy. Yeah, that's the, the catcher thing. Like the I mean, like, even if you thought it were a bear, why would you be like, oh, let's go. I don't know. <laughs> let's go check that out. Know. They do swim, you know. The sound of snapping twigs some 50 feet behind the creature made the creature spring into action. It turned to its side, then checked out the people in the canoe one last time before spinning completely around and darting into the wood line like a cat. Hmm. So it sounds like it was on all fours then? I guess. Like a cat? I guess. Okay. The two friends floating in the canoe debated on the wisdom of paddling to shore to look for tracks. The witnesses' wishes to get away were overridden by the curiosity of their companion, but upon investigation, they did find two markings in the sand, rather blurred from the pivoting movements of the creature's feet. The witnesses found the whole experience extremely upsetting, even though the creature did not act threatening, and every sound that night kept them awake. Oh, heck yeah. The people who did not have the experience claimed that they probably saw a bear, but they responded, it was no bear. This is the part I find most convincing. Over and over, such accounts from experienced campers, hikers, fishermen, and hunters confirms the fact that while it might have looked like a bear, it wasn't one. These experienced wilderness folks agree that their experience didn't sound like, walk like, or have a head like a bear. This is especially true of what is considered the most spectacular of the sightings in New York, the famous Whitehall events of the mid-70s. This quaint little town. See, we got to go there. It's a quaint little it's town. Quaint. This quaint little town. You know, nestled, they have a good diner somewhere, right? With really good they food. They have a Bigfoot tavern. I'm Ooh, sure. Yeah. okay. This little town nestled in the foothills of the Adirondacks. 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 <laughs> That's one of those words <laughs> that I can't say. Has a local history of sightings that stretches back hundreds of years. According to the book, quote, Monsters of New York, Mysterious Creatures in the Empire State by Bruce G. Hallenbeck, the events began on August 24th, 1976. Teenagers Martin Paddock, Paul Goslin, and Bart Kinney were in a field near a bear road just outside of town. As told to Bill Brand of the Northern Sasquatch Research Society, the three men were driving in a truck when they saw a, quote, large human form standing on the side of the road. After turning around in an attempt to get a better look, the creature began squealing and screaming. Yikes. As the figure began running towards them, Goslin urged the driver to, quote, get the hell out of here. Paddock did so, burning a measured 57 feet of rubber in the process. They went to the police to report the incident, only to be met with skepticism. However, Goslin's father remembered hearing an eerie screaming in the area the previous year. He rounded up two other men and set off for the road. The creature was still there. Goslin stated, quote, it scared me. It scared me a lot. What really attracted me was the eyes on it. It had big red eyes. It just stood there. It didn't move. It was seven to eight feet tall, must have been about 300 to 400 pounds, and it had thick, short, brown, coarse hair, and on the head, longer hair. Brian Kinney was certain about his sighting, saying, quote, it was no bear. I know that. A bear does not walk like that. Goslin contributed a lot of detail to subsequent drawings, as seen above. Another sighting occurred that night near where other law enforcement officials found 19-inch tracks near the Pulteney River Bridge. Casts made from these footprints have dermal ridges like fingerprints. So, stuff is going on there in Whitehall. Yeah, I'll say. According to an article in the New York Post from August 13th, 2018, called, quote, Driver Spots Bigfoot Walking Across Rural Highway, the article says... 
A mysterious Bigfoot-like creature was spotted crossing an upstate highway half a mile from where a similar-looking beast was sighted 12 years ago, an investigator told The Post on Monday. A driver was headed to Vermont in around 10.10 p.m. Tuesday when he witnessed the six-foot upright walking ape stepping over a guardrail along Route 4 in Whitehall, said Paul Bartholomew, an investigator and author specializing in Sasquatch encounters. He was stunned. His jaw just dropped open, said Bartholomew. But this is actually a very common type of sighting. The witness, who asked not to be named due to possible ridicule, described the creature to Bartholomew as black and hairy with two legs, wide shoulders, and a small neck. Sightings of Sasquatch crossing a road are the most common in upstate New York and are usually for some reason reported in August and September, according to Bartholomew. Hmm. So that's maybe when we should shoot for August if we go there. Yeah. For my birthday. I'd be so... (laughs) Or September. I mean... Whether it's September, I'd be back in school. Oh, that's true. Whether it's a migration or not, I'm not sure. But there's a real consistency with the reports. People will be driving at night and they'll describe seeing the same thing. A forest road is most likely a place for a person to have the opportunity to see the creature. A similar ape-like animal was reported half a mile away in September 2006. Hundreds more sightings have been reported in the area over the years, he said. On Tuesday, the driver wasn't able to snap a photo of the beast because it happened too quickly, he said. The animal left almost no footprint due to the rugged terrain. Bartholomew and some scientists believe that this animal may be a descendant of the ancient southern ape. Bartholomew says, quote, there's a rich history here. In the 70s, this was a taboo subject, but the subject is gaining traction. And just last month, the village of Whitehall announced Bigfoot as its official animal. Oh, nice. Yep. That's fun. You know, I'm just, it makes sense that people would see or have a lot of sightings near roads. Because if you think about how wildlife travels through the woods, they use game trails. Yeah. So path of least resistance, right? So yeah. it would make sense that a Bigfoot would use a road yeah. to get around. Think, think of how many roads are up in northern Wisconsin that are just right. in the middle of the... Nowhere, in yeah. the woods. Yeah, there's one whole chunk of up there that's just like all wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, with just a couple roads crossing through it. Mm-hmm. I would love to be like on it's those very at dense night. up north, yeah. That's, I think it's up there where my buddy Luke saw the... The, where the guy walked out of the woods with the wheelbarrow in the middle of the night and like stopped in the middle of the road and turned his head slowly and looked at them on the road. What? Yeah. Have you told me about this? Yeah, we talked about that in one of the, I think we talked about that in the past. Wow. They were up north somewhere. That's at, creepy. Like in the middle of the woods driving on a road and in the middle of the night and they said they saw something and it coming out of the woods was an old man pushing a wheelbarrow and he went out to the middle of the road and stopped and like turned his head real slow and looked at them and then turned his head forward again and then went into the other side of the woods. Weird. Yeah. What was in the wheelbarrow? I don't know. What's I'm in pretty the sure box? I'm pretty sure Luke does, <laughs> Luke doesn't know either. Uh-oh. But yeah. But Okay. I, yeah. I want to look into these like sightings in Michigan. Like I didn't realize yeah. that Michigan had such I didn't either. Again though, think of the UP. That's lots of woods. Lots of wilderness. Yep. From an article from buffalonews.com, March 4th, 2022, called, quote, Looking Back at Western New York Bigfoot Sightings, the article says, Paul Filicetti, a part-time Newfane police officer, had spent four years investigating the beast he says he first encountered while picking some corn for dinner. He didn't see the beast, but he saw the three-toed footprints it left behind, and he heard it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And he heard it. He says, quote, it made a screaming sound. I'll swear it'll make all the hair on your body stand up on end. It sounded just like a woman being murdered. It's terrible. 
On March 3, 1980, the above-the-banner headline in the Courier Express read, quote, Officer has photos of Niagara County Beast with a story headlined Bigfoot with a question mark. It's supposed to be between 5 feet, 6 inches, and 6 feet tall and weighs between 300 and 350 pounds. I hesitate to call it a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. I just really don't know what to call it, Filichetti told the Courier Express. It's short and weighs how tall? Five feet, six inches, six wow. feet tall. It's That's like 300, pretty 350 It's pretty pounds. short, but big. Yeah. Like hefty. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I'd call that a Bigfoot either. And the photos he had were of animal remains found by hunters. Dogs later ran off with a rotting head and feet of some well, okay, and, and feet of some creature, possibly a large fanged bear. But Filichetti was convinced that the photographed the remains of a creature that had been spotted around Lewiston for the two previous past decades. Hmm. At a forum where the facts of the case were discussed, UB Professor Paul Kurtz called the whole thing quote pure fantasy, guessing that the remains were those of an illegally poached bear. But a West Coast Sasquatch expert in attendance wasn't so sure. At a meeting at the Village Fire Hall, John Eric Beckard, director of the Seattle-based Project Bigfoot, offered up a jar of, quote, glop, which he said might contain hair and skin from the creature. Sure, sure, sure. I don't want a jar of glop. No. There's no reason why you can't have Bigfoots in western New York, said Beckard. 60% of New York State is woods or secluded off-limit areas like military bases, Love Canal, or chemical companies. 60% of New York State is woods. Yeah. That just blows my mind mm-hmm. because I just never picture that. Filichetti says, quote, All I know is that there have been a lot of new spotlights added to the backyards at homes in the town all over the past three or four years. People in Lewiston know that there's something out there because a lot of them have seen it or heard it. And then from a chronogram.com article from 2019 called, quote, Sasquatch Sightings in the Hudson Valley, the article says, Ask a conventional wildlife biologist about the existence of Bigfoot, you'll get a flat no and probably a funny look. (laughs) Still, no less a researcher than Dr. Jane Goodall told an interview that she was sure that they exist. Yep. And the question comes quite close to home when you consider the experience of people like Dutchess County resident Gail Beatty. Beatty grew up loving the visits to her grandparents' place in Rhinebeck, New York, And when her family moved upriver from Westchester to Pine Plains in the late 60s, she was one ecstatic 13-year-old girl. She says, quote, I've always been into the outdoors, hunting, fishing, riding. So moving to the base of Stissing Mountain was heaven. We called our mountain Little Stissing. Her first encounter happened when she had just gotten her tent up and was settling in for a solo camp out one night when the weirdness hit. She says, quote, it was just getting dark and I heard an owl call really loud and suddenly a little different sounding. Seconds later, there was the most horrible scream. It just tore through me and it vibrated in my chest. It was unlike anything she'd ever heard before. She said, quote, I sat there in shock for a minute, just shaking and decided to make a run for it. I bolted straight down a 75% grade, slipping and sliding and ran into the house crying, yelling that there was something out there and that it was after me. Just don't go up there anymore, her parents said, but there was no keeping her indoors. And over time, Beatty took over hook line, took over the hook, line, and sinker bait shop in Red Hook, but she never forgot the sound. Then, fast forward to 2011, she says, quote, I'm in the other room and my husband's watching Animal Planet's Finding Bigfoot, and there it was, the exact same sound that I heard that night that I hadn't heard since 1968. Mm. So there you go. There's that some, would be terrifying. Yeah. Being in a tent at night, you're already, I mean kind of a vulnerable position to be in right you can't yeah. see it around you and hearing something like that yeah oh, that would be... i don't know i'm starting to i'm starting to warm up to the bigfoot stuff <laughs> yeah uh, one of our next 
not our next one, but I think the one after is going to be a lot of Reddit stories about mm. stuff in woods. And cool. there's just so much. Like, I'm fascinated by woods. Like, yeah. sp- like creepy stuff yeah. in the woods. But I don't know. Like, there's so many... But there's so many people that say there's animals that make this scream-like sound sure. that it could easily be mistaken for a Bigfoot. Yeah, and big cats make some yeah. weird, weird noises. But there's just so many commonalities. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So many sightings, too, yeah. and encounters to, to just write them off. And, of course, number one, the number one New York cryptid slash creature, it is Champ. Champ? You know Champ? I don't know. You know Champ. Okay. We'll from find a, out. From an article on www.lakechamplain.com called, quote, Champ, the Lake Champlain Monster. The article says, you've never heard of Champ? Maybe that I have. It's like, kind of like our Loch Ness monster. Okay. The indigenous people that have long lived and hunted near Lake Champlain have their old legends about a creature inhabiting the lake, which looks like a large horned serpent or a giant snake. The Native American term for this creature is Gittiscog. Early in the 18th century, the Abenakis warned French explorers about disturbing the waters of the lake so as not to disturb the serpent. Samuel Samuel de Champlain, who the lake is named after, is often falsely credited with being the first European to sight Champ, but readings of his account show that he saw something near the St. Lawrence River. Nevertheless, his account of the sighting is of interest with anyone that has interest in whatsoever in lake monsters. Champlain described what he saw like this, quote, There is also a great abundance of many species of fish. Among others, there is one called by the natives Chararasu, which is of various lengths, but the largest of them, as these tribes have told me, are from 8 to 10 feet long. I have seen some 5 feet long, which were as big as my thigh, and had a head as large as two of my fists, with a snout 2.5 feet long and a double row of very sharp, dangerous teeth. Its body has a good deal the shape of the pike, but is protected by scales of a silvery gray color so strong that a dagger cannot pierce them. Hmm. Historians think Champ is probably a garfish, a class that includes Lake Sturgeon, which still do live in Lake Champlain today. But I can't imagine mistaking a sturgeon no. for a... It looks like a fish. Yeah, yeah. A, a prehistoric looking fish, but yeah, it's... but it still looks like a fish. Yes. You're not going to mistake it for like a Loch Ness monster no. type monster. And they do get big, but we're not talking like that big. Yeah. Champlain's description of the creature sounds very much like a garfish, although much larger than usual. The next famous account appears in the Plattsburgh Republican newspaper on Saturday, July 24th, 1819. Captain Crum was aboard a scow on Bulwaga Bay. <laughs> Captain Crum in Bulwaga Bay. <laughs> the previous Thursday morning when he reported a monster about 187 feet long and with a head resembling a seahorse that reared more than 15 feet out of the water. He claimed the monster he saw had three teeth, eyes the color of a, quote, peeled onion, a white star on its forehead, and a belt of red around its neck. This is a remarkable level of detail concerning an object that was, according to the witnesses, some 200 yards away. 1873 was a busy year for Champ. A New York Times story reported that a railroad crew had seen the head of a, quote, enormous serpent in Lake Champlain with bright silvery scales that glistened in the sun. The men and the monster parted ways at that point. In July that same year, Clinton County Sheriff Nathan Mooney reported a, quote, enormous snake or water serpent that he thought was 25 to 35 feet long. Then in August, the steamship, the WB80, then in August, the steamship, the WB Eddy, encountered Champ by running into it. The ship nearly turned over, according to the tourists on board. Never one to miss a trick, showman P.T. Barnum offered a reward of $50,000 in 1873 for the hide of the great Champlain Serpent to add to my Mammoth World's Fair show. 
1992, sightings totaled around 180, with approximately 600 people claiming to have seen Champ all around the lake. Eager children crossing the lake by ferry often look for the lake monster, hoping for a sighting. A few people even managed to snap photos of what they claimed to be Champ. Much like his mythical relative at Loch Ness, Champ sightings and photos are much debated and analyzed. The 21st century saw a whole new wave of sightings which numbered into the double digits each summer and prompted interest from Japanese television, The Today Show, NBC's Unsolved Mysteries, and Fox Network's show Sightings. In 2003, the Discovery Channel did a special on, quote, America's Loch Ness Monster in the wake of three new sightings by June that year. Champ has been written about in Discover Magazine and in scholarly journals. Although many people are skeptical of the sightings, Champ is now protected by law on both sides of the lake, just in case. In 1981, Port Henry, New York declared their waters a safe haven for Champ. In 1982, the state of Vermont passed a House resolution protecting Champ. And in 1983, in New York, both the State Assembly and the State Senate passed resolutions protecting Champ. That's funny. It is. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the lake borders Vermont and New York. So there's people in Vermont that see it. There's people in New York that see it. How big is this lake? It's fairly big. I looked at a picture like it. of it. Okay. Today, Champ is celebrated whether he exists or not. In Vermont, a baseball team is known as the Lake Monsters with a Champ mascot. A Champ statue sits by the water in Port Henry, New York, and images of the monster looking cheerful and definitely not scary appear throughout the area at local businesses, on t-shirts, in children's books, and more. A historic marker even sits on the shore in Clinton County in honor of everyone's favorite lake monster. So I there mean, you if you go. think about it, if, if you embrace something like that, rather than, oh, that's not real. That's, yeah, yeah. I think it it's is cool. a source I think of income for yeah. people. I think you it's know? cool that they, they acknowledge it, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they protect it and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I've seen some pictures. The pictures like look like the Loch Ness Monster pictures where sure. it's like a head. Uh, an unidentifiable <sighs> thump, lump in the water. Lake Monsters are another one of those that I just have a hard time yeah, I agree. buying, yeah. you know. Like, I would love to see Champ. Sure. You know, I'd like to. The put evidence him, put him is very head. lacking. Yeah, yeah, and pictures are just so, mm-hmm. you know, either so blurry or so so fakey looking. Mm-hmm. But that's Champ. Champ is like a big thing. I'm okay. surprised you have not heard about. Yeah, Champ. I don't know. Maybe I have. It just doesn't ring a bell. I wish there was a Lake Michigan sea monster that we could see sometimes. <laughs> so there are some cryptids and creatures. There wasn't. There just wasn't a whole lot for New York. A lot of Bigfoot, though. That surprised me. So now we get to hauntings or weird places. One place that I didn't write about that I could have, but what what I read about that fascinated me and and bothered me to no end to think about was a place called the Utica State Hospital. It was like an asylum. Okay. And what they are famous for inventing is something called a Utica crib. Oh god. So imagine imagine like a coffin shaped box that you're in that is just made of nothing but cage okay you, you can lay in it but you can't like get up or move and they would put patients in there and wheel them outside so they could get some sunlight and then push them back in and you were kept in there if you were insane or whatever okay. or if they were worried that you were a danger mm-hmm. like there is nothing that freaks like i i have this weird along with the claustrophobia thing i have this weird fear of being restrained where mm. I can't get up or I can't roll over or I can't do something mm-hmm. and that's what you are where you're in this t- it looks like a wow. think of like a cot with like a cage like directly over you that yeah. all you can do is be wheeled around in this oh. and not do anything but they're famous for inventing the Utica crib and the all place right. is supposedly haunted but I didn't really talk about that I feel like it sounds familiar 
Like some group has probably done an investigation there, like taps or whatever. Oh, I'm sure that they have. There's one. The number one place on here is actually at an asylum. But we're going to start out with number six, place number six. I didn't really name it, but it's famous for something. And I thought this was really interesting. According to an October 31st, 2019 article on the Hein Online blog called, quote, Something Strange in the Neighborhood, the article says, In the late 1960s, a rundown Victorian house sat vacant, nestled atop a cliff overlooking the Hudson River. Built more than 70 years earlier, the mansion boasted nearly 5,000 square feet, intricate woodwork, and plenty of old world charm. Sounds like a great place. Like, mm-hmm. I like there. Enter George and Helen Ackley, a married couple looking for a spacious waterfront home for themselves and their four children. What they did not know, however, was the legends about the house being haunted that had circulated the surrounding town of Nyack for years. Upon buying the house, the couple's initial joy was met with caution from the locals. With fear in their eyes, the neighborhood children offered their warnings. It didn't take long for George and Helen to discover the poltergeist themselves. True to tale, the family began to experience phantom footsteps, mysterious knockings, and the slamming of doors around the house. They came to find that the house was inhabited by not one, but three ghosts, an unnamed Navy lieutenant from the American Revolution and a married couple from the 18th century named Sir George and Lady Margaret. According to the Ackley family, a number of strange happenings occurred over the next 20 years, including Helen's children and grandchildren began to find odd gifts around the house, such as rings, dinnerware, coins, and other trinkets, and then these objects would later vanish entirely. One morning, Helen's daughter Cynthia was woken up by the violent shaking of her bed, a ritual that would occur most mornings afterward until Cynthia one day announced to the ghost that she was on spring break and would like to sleep in, and the, the shaking stopped. Oh, that's, con- that's it's considerate. Super nice. yeah. yeah. And apparently one day, while Helen was painting the ceiling in the living room, Sir George appeared in midair looking at the ceiling and nodding as if he approved of the color. <laughs> so okay. these guys sound cool. Like, yeah. Sound like, these are all relatively pleasant. Yeah, these are... <laughs> are actually kind of cool ghosts and in later years cynthia's fiance mark was said to have woken several times to see lady margaret leaning over him as he slept that's creepy that would not be pleasant (laughs) that would would not be pleasant and the shaking of the bed that wouldn't be very pleasant either according to ackley's oh i had some of that sour salt on my yeah my lips and i just according to ackley's son-in-law's website he also experienced things in the house saying quote I had two personal experiences with the ghosts. They both happened soon after I moved in with my future wife, Cynthia, and they occurred about one month apart. The first happened on Christmas Eve. I was at home alone due to various activities. I was playing Christmas Elf in the living room, putting gifts together. It was a totally quiet night in the house. After a while, I kept hearing a muffled conversation come from the dining room around the wall. I would get up and walk over, but nobody was there. I felt like I was being watched. I had purposely turned on every light in the surrounding rooms. I was getting nervous, then my future brother-in-law suddenly pounded on the door, making me jump out of my skin, and the talking stopped. The second incident happened in our bedroom on the third floor. It was a clear, dark night. Cynthia had already fallen asleep, and I was just starting to drift off. Then I heard the bedroom door creak and the floorboards squeak. My back was to the edge of the bed. Suddenly, the edge of the bed by my midsection depressed down, and I felt something lean down against me. I went literally stone stiff. I was speechless and could hardly move. I was able to twist my neck around enough to see a womanly figure in a soft dress through the moonlight from the bay windows. I felt like she was looking straight at me. After about a minute, the presence got up and walked back out of the room. I finally relaxed enough to shake my wife out of sound sleep, acting like a toddler who just had a nightmare. And that sounds like that could be 
Yeah. Sleep paralysis. Um, except you're usually not able to move. I know, but that, that's what I think people would, would poo-poo yeah, this as sleep paralysis. Yep. A decade into living with the ghosts, Helen decided to write about her family's paranormal experiences, submitting her stories to Reader's Digest and the local newspaper at least three times between 1977 and 1989. Soon after the first submission, her husband George had a heart attack. In the early 1990s, Helen decided to sell the house. She entered into a contract with a buyer named Jeffrey Stambovsky, Bovsky, agreeing to the price of $650,000 with a $32,500 down payment. Hailing from the hustle and bustle of New York City, however, Stambovsky was unaware of the folklore surrounding the house. Though seemingly proud of her paranormal pals, Helen Ackley never mentioned the hauntings to him. Upon learning about the poltergeist, Stambovsky sued Ackley and her real estate broker for fraudulent misrepresentation and requested a rescission of his contract of sale. When a New York Supreme Court dismissed the action based on caveat emptor, buyer beware, he appealed. In 1991, the Appellate Division of the New York Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. The court made a basic conclusion that whether or not the ghosts were real, the mere fact that the hauntings were reported and publicized affected the value of the house. Therefore, the house was declared haunted as a matter of law. And that was the first time that like, there was ever a law about a house being haunted. Mm. The fact that she had published these stories in the Reader's Digest mm. said that it should have been disclosed. So it was a matter. So the house was technically by law haunted. That's and that is, that's a law in some states yeah, too that you first have time, to disclose that's that. That's the first time that's ever happened. Hmm. Because she had previously published about the ghost, Helen Ackley was una- unable to deny their existence. Hmm. However, sticking with the buyer beware doctrine, the court held that she was not liable for damages. Instead, due to the fact that haunted cannot easily be ascertained with a simple house inspection, the court simply rescinded his contract. He was no longer required to buy the house, but he did forfeit his down payment. After the publicity gain, so she got to keep thirty-two thousand dollars. Yeah. Wow. After the publicity gain from the trial, she easily sold her house. Of course. Sure. <laughs> yeah. She should have just said it was haunted from it the get-go. Probably even raised the value. Yep. But the court case became known as the Ghostbuster ruling, and it's been like a, it's been studied in law school. Like when you go to law school, you will learn about the Ghostbusters ruling. So after the publicity gained from the trial, she easily sold the house. Since then, notable residents that have lived at the house included film director Adam Brooks, singer Ingrid Michaelson, who I actually really oh, like. Oh yeah, I like her too. And singer rapper Mati Sahu. Sure. I don't know. There have been no reported paranormal instances since Ackley has moved. I think that one rapper you're talking... What is his M- name? I sh- Matty Shayu? I think Matty he's Ashu? like Yeah, Jewish? Uh, Yeah, okay. I've seen him, but I just don't know I how remember, to pronounce his name. Yeah, I remember. He was kind of a one-hit wonder. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting, the whole yeah. Ghostbusters ruling that... Yeah. Which I get. Like, if you have published that the house is haunted... Mm-hmm. I, I would you buy a cheap house if you if it had reputation of being haunted? I don't think I would. No, Mm-mm. like a mansion. Mm-mm. Really, I don't want to live in a place where I don't feel comfortable or alone. Yeah, but if they're all they're doing is like looking at your painting job and being like, it looks good. Eh, nope. Still no. Nope. All right. I'd do it as a flip. Okay, <laughs> but tell them it's haunted, please. So now we get to haunting slash weird place number five, the house of death. Got to be good, oh, that right? Sounds, yeah. According to the Untapped City's website, called "quote The Hauntings of 14 West 10th Street, New York City's House of Death," the article says, "Located down one of the most picturesque blocks in New York City stands a building with a notoriously dark history. 
Nicknamed the House of Death, 14 West 10th Street is supposedly haunted by at least 22 ghosts, the most famous of which is Mark Twain, who resided there from 1900 to 1901. A Greek revival home, number 14, was built during the late 1850s in the favorable area of Washington Square Park. Hmm. Before landing its infamous name, the brownstone was home to many members of New York's elite, including Mrs. James Borman Johnson, whose husband had been a founding member of the Metropolitan Underground Railroad and the Broadway Underground Railroad. In 1900, the building became the favorite residence of author Samuel Clemens, known as he was really Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. Despite only living there for a little over a year, his spirit seems to have stuck around a bit longer. Sightings of Mark Twain dressed in a white suit have been reported on the first floor and near the staircase. In the 1930s, a mother and daughter claimed to have encountered the author sitting near a window when he looked at them and stated, quote, my name is Clemens, and I has a problem here. I got to settle. He disappeared moments later. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. 22. That's a lot of ghosts. One is a lot of ghosts. Yes. Agreed. As the demand for housing grew in New York City, many brownstones were converted to multifamily apartments. 14 West 10th Street was no exception, and it was transformed from a single family home into 10 apartments in 1937. According to the New York Post, actress Jan Bryant Bartell and her husband moved into the top floor apartment, which was the former servants' quarters, and almost immediately began feeling a presence she described as, quote, a monstrous moving shadow. She documented her struggle with the paranormal in her book Spindrift, Spray from a Psychic Sea, which she wrote in 1974. That sounds like a book from the 70s. Making the street even more macabre, Bartell also experienced hauntings in 16 West 10th Street, where she lived in the 1950s before moving into the Twain House. Whether or not these paranormal visions were left over from 16 West 10th Street or her visions in the next-door house were reverberations from 14 West 10th Street is left unknown. The house has been visited by multiple paranormal investigators who claim to have sensed the presence of a lady in white. Of course. There's your lady in white. Yep. A young child and a gray cat. Oh, a cat. Tragically, the brownstone was home to a real-life demon named Joel Steinberg. Oh, boy. A former New York criminal defense attorney, Steinberg was charged with first-degree manslaughter for beating his six-year-old illegally adopted daughter to death. Lisa Steinberg was found around 7 a.m. in November of 1987 by officers responding to a call about a child not breathing. After entering the second-floor apartment, they found Lisa unconscious and another baby covered in filth tied to a playpen. The baby survived, but Lisa was declared brain dead and died a few days later. Steinberg was released from prison in 2004. Wow. So yeah, that's a house with a dark, dark history. I'll say. Haunted slash creepy place number four is the Burn Bray Mansion. And I, I know ghost groups have, I remember hearing Burn Bray Mansion on some ghost hunting show. Okay. So I know some groups have been there. The Burn Bray Mansion was built in 1908 by Margaret Mackenzie Elkin as part of the estate of George Ross Mackenzie, the third president of the Singer Sewing Machine Company, who made his fortune as a confidant and advisor to Isaac Merritt Singer, the company's founder. Rich in history, the Burn Bray Mansion was recently restored for its 100-year anniversary. Following the renovations, the original servants' quarters, now named the Singer Suite and Elkin Room, and the adjoining guest rooms, now named the Mackenzie Suite, were open to the public. Shortly after their opening, overnight guests began reporting mysterious sights and sounds during their visit. Further research revealed a history of such reports and subsequently spurred curiosity about the previous occupants of the Burn Bray Mansion. 
Burnbray Mansion sits on over 20 wooded acres at the foot of the Catskill Mountains. The grounds are lush with streams, open fields, and walking trails, one which leads to the historic Glen Spey Cemetery, final resting place of the original owners. The mansion now operates as a bed and breakfast. We could always go to that. That sounds bed. amazing, yeah, actually. We should maybe, we'll add this place maybe to our list. Mm-hmm. The mansion now operates as a bed and breakfast, but was once part of a large estate for the president of the Singer Sewing Company. The property has seen the likes of paranormal investigators and even just guests who have witnessed seeing a woman pacing the halls. According to the Hudson Valley Sojourner, quote, at least the last two owners, whose combined ownership spans more than four decades, and their guests have reported unexplained occurrences such as doors opening and slamming, children's voices, balls bouncing, and the apparitions of a woman in white, a man in turn-of-the-century clothing, and more modern man in overalls. Visitors often report the sounds of animals when no animals are present and the distinct sound of an organ playing when there is no organ in the house. <laughs> That's creepy. Okay. <laughs> More recently, an elderly couple in their 90s both died in the house. Guests still say that they can see them from the front yard playing chess by the big window. Were they owners? It just says an elderly couple both died in the house. How did they both die there? I don't know. That's that's a good question. I don't Hmm. know. Okay. Guests say that they can still see them from the front yard playing chess by the big window. They can hear his classical music and they can smell her daily baking. Nearby activities include the Bethel Woods Center for Arts and Woodstock Museum, Monticello Racetrack and Casino, National Historic Sites, River Rafting, Hiking, Golfing, Skiing, Shopping, Crafts, Antiques, and Flea Markets. Ooh. We do need to go there. Yes, we do. Spending the night at the Burnbury Mansion is a unique and memorable experience for all ages and interests. Packages include a home-cooked dinner and a full breakfast, including fresh-baked bread and eggs from their own chickens. I mean, I'm in just for that. Yeah. <laughs> Overnight guests are also invited to take a guided tour of the mansion, including the, quote, Attic of Curiosities. I don't even know what's in the attic. It sounds fantastic, though. I'm adding that to our list. Burnbury Mansion, I think yes. I'm going to have to add to our list of potential what New York. city, though? Or? It's... Or town or... A small town. It's, okay. it's it's at the base of the Catskill Mountains. It sounds beautiful. It does sound amazing. The Woodstock amazing. Museum. I think you'd like the Woodstock Heck yeah. Museum. Tours are ex- uh, the tours are exclusive, though, to our overnight guests. The inn is bring your own beer. <laughs> oh, well, okay. I can handle that. And they use this quote all the time. Burnbray Mansion is one of my favorite places to stay when I am up here by Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Oh, nice. Yeah. A movie you still haven't seen? No. I have not. I yeah, uh, Brian Young mm-hmm. harps on me about that because he really wants because he he loves that movie and he says it's it's not so much a horror movie mm-hmm. as it is what a commentary on something. Well, I don't know that part, but I know that he says it's not. He doesn't consider it a no. horror movie. I know. So, I do. I know so much about the movie <laughs> that I basically mm-hmm. feel like I've seen it, even though I do, I haven't. But the Burnbury Mansion sounds interesting. A bed and breakfast would be cool for us to go to a bed and breakfast. And probably cheaper than staying at like they a stand, more... At the Stanley yeah. or someplace like that, or in the Queen Mary. And a place to sleep as opposed to having to camp or something. Yeah, sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Haunted slash weird place number three. This one's for you, Brian. The Buffalo Central Terminal in Buffalo, New York. During the late 19th century, Buffalo had several railroad stations, and there were calls for a single union station, and that's where various railroads Trains, can use to yeah. switch and use it and stuff. New York City decided to build a new Buffalo Central Terminal 2.5 miles to the east in order to relieve both rail and grade crossing congestion and to be more conveniently located for trains not terminating in Buffalo. A roomier area would also ease the transfer of sleeping cars between trains. Furthermore, Buffalo was a super quickly growing city at the time. 
NYC finalized its decision to build the terminal in 1925, and site preparation began the following year. NYC President Patrick Crowley hired Alfred T. Fellenheimer and Stuart Wagner to build the actual station in 1927. The total cost of the project was $14 million. 1927, $14 million was a lot of money. Heck yeah, think of what that would be now. Yeah. A grand celebration attended by 2,200 invited guests on June 22, 1929 opened the station. Scheduled service began on June 23rd. For most of Central Terminal's history, far too few trains stopped there to justify the use of such a large facility. Although it started with 200 trains daily, the Great Depression began less than a year after its construction and the rise in automobiles also hurt like the passenger levels. Sure. Everybody's got cars. Mm-hmm. There was a burst of activity during World War II when the station did have a reasonable amount of train traffic for its size. After the war, though, the station entered into what would be a permanent decline. As early as 1956, the New York Central offered the terminal for sale for $1 million. In 1966... Well, considering what it costs to build it. I know. In 1966, the continuing decrease in passenger revenues caused New York City to demolish part of the terminal complex. Amtrak had to spend $150,000 a year on the heating bill alone. Oh, my God. Rather than spending the massive sum necessary to rehabilitate the terminal, Amtrak replaced it in 1979 with the much smaller Buffalo Depew Station 10 miles east of downtown. The last train to call at Central Terminal was the Westbound Lakeshore Limited, which departed at 4.10 a.m. on October 28, 1979. It was sold a few times, and the building was basically abandoned. Scott Field of the Preservation Coalition of Erie County bought the building in August 1997 for the purchase price of $1. It just kills me that he bought it for a dollar. That's a a steal. And the assumption of approximately $70,000 in back taxes. Oh, my God. So there you go. But still, 70000 Shortly afterward, the Central Terminal Restoration Corporation, or the CTRC, was formed and currently owns the concourse, the tower, and the baggage building. Doesn't it seem kind of bogus that you'd have to pay back taxes on a property yeah. you didn't own prior? Yeah, it does, but mm-hmm. somebody's got to, I guess. The CTRC is a nonprofit volunteer organization whose goal is to preserve the terminal and help promote it as a viable redevelopment opportunity in the city of Buffalo. I bet it's a cool old-looking oh, it building. It is. Like, if you look at pictures of it, if you look at pictures of it, like, the, the terminal place is really good-looking, but I guess the rest is just kind of decrepit mm-hmm. and falling apart. Mm-hmm. In November of 2005, Red Scream Films shot its first feature film called Prison of the Psychotic Damned in the terminal. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. The Paranormal Investigators, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, or TAPS, visited the terminal for about a week in June 2008 and aired their findings on Ghost Hunters on September 24, 2008. Footage taken during this investigation shows that, aside from the main concourse, the entire complex is still currently in a state of heavy disrepair. The spinoff show, Ghost Hunters Academy, I even I totally forgot about Ghost Hunters I, Academy. I remember it, though. The spinoff show, Ghost Hunters Academy, visited the terminal for an episode on December 2nd, 2009, and October 31st, 2010, on Halloween, Ghost Hunters aired a live six-hour broadcast from the station. Mm. I don't, I, I've seen a couple of their their live, live ones, ones, but yeah. I, I, there's I a lot of controversy surrounding well, there, one. Yeah, there's the one with the the, the color gets that, plugged. That is the one. That is where I was like, 
Yep. This is faked. Totally. Yeah. They got so 100%. busted. They got so busted on that one. So if you have Discovery Plus, yeah. I haven't seen the Ghost Hunters Academy, but there's like a Ghost Hunters, it's called Classics. Yeah. And I think it goes all the way back to season one. So really? if you're like really into that and you want to relive like the old days of Ghost Hunters you and you have Discovery Plus, the, I bet you fa- can catch that episode on there. <laughs> the fact that they did a six hour live show. The place is, that makes it sound like the place is haunted or it's mm-hmm. one of the only places you can mm-hmm. get into, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. Several movies have filmed scenes there and some music videos, including one by the Goo Goo Dolls, have been filmed there. Hmm. It routinely has ghost tours. And it was hard to find like really like reports of stuff that happened there. Like Like haunted stuff, yeah. Okay. But there's a site called Step Out Buffalo. And on September 23rd, 2016, they had an article called, quote, Everything You Need to Know About Ghost Hunting at the Central Terminal. The article says, designated tour areas include the basement, offices, and Anthony Fettel's apartment. Fettel, owner of the Central Terminal from 1979 to 1986, put his heart and soul into reviving the terminal during his ownership, but unfortunately was unsuccessful. Some say his passion for the project has drawn his spirit back to the space, allowing him to oversee the place he loves so deeply. Your touring group will meet in the main terminal and throughout the night explore different locations. Designated tour areas include the basement, the offices, and Anthony's apartment. In addition to designated high activity spots, you'll also be able to go off on your own with the permission of the group leader. This is this is what I don't like. Like I don't like you and we're in a ghost hunting group. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't want, want someone I don't else want to some, tell me what to do. I don't do. want some jabroni telling me what I can and can't do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that that's, that was what I struggled with in the I asylum would, tour. Yeah, I'd be like, dude, no. I'm just watching someone else do an investigation, yeah. and I have no control over. I don't know the if that makes us sound the... sound snotty, <laughs> but it's true. Like I don't want to go on an investigation where I got to listen to somebody tell me what I can and can't totally, do. Totally, one hundred percent. At that point, you're just on a tour. You're not on an actual investigation. No. So the, the the girl writing this article says, my group's first destination was to head downstairs where, in the past, homeless people would break in seeking shelter. Tragically, many of them froze to death. On my visit, I personally witnessed activity in the baggage claim area, and some say the liquor store was a good spot to experience things as well, so I came prepared to explore. And then she says, my experience. In the interest of keeping the excitement and mystery alive, I won't go into too much detail about just what the tour offers. What's the fun in knowing everything? However, there are some things you should know that would help make your experience that much better. For my visit, two occurrences stand out that are too good not to share. The first happened in the back of the baggage claim area. Before we were given the okay to break off on our own and explore in the main floor, we were told the story of a woman that had come through previously named Rose. Although the reason is unknown, it's been made clear that Rose despises men and generally refuses to respond to them. I noticed two of my group members had high-quality night vision cameras and EVP recorders, so I decided to go with them to see what they picked up. After asking a few questions without response, two men inched closer to the cabinets that stood in the corner of the room and asked, Where are you, Rose? A clear response came through. A woman's voice clearly responded, The corner. One man knocked on the door and asked, Would it be all right if we came in? And a startlingly clear no came through, shooting a chill down my spine. So these are audible? No, these were EVPs. Oh, they were EVPs. Okay. My second strong experience came through in the upstairs offices. The floor is huge, allowing plenty of room to break off and explore on your own. The majority of the group was in one larger room attempting to hear from two children, a young girl and a young boy named Zachary. They scattered a ball and stuffed animals on the ground in an attempt to hear from the children with no response. 
In a moment of curiosity, I wandered off on my own to explore, snapping a photo of one of the deserted rooms. The room was pitch black, but when I looked at the photo, I saw two large orbs. One was near a small child-sized desk in the corner, and the other seemed to be in motion at the bottom left corner of the photo. Say what you may, skeptics. Yes, it could be it could be dust, which it probably is. But in my opinion, size and quantity is all too fitting. Not to mention, in dirty rooms, dust appears more snow-like than orb-like in photos. Could it be Zachary and the little girl or just dust? Hey, you be the judge. I, I just never like no. photos of It's said that that some of the soldiers who died during World War II were shipped back to the central terminal for their families to pick them up at the baggage claim. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. I could just see you on that spinning thing (laughs) going around. (laughs) And according to the Buffalo Review, homeless people would often seek refuge in central terminal and would often freeze to death. Oh, boy. So there there is activity that happens there. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't find a lot, but it's supposed to be pretty haunted. And it was kind of in the news in March of 2021 when a 35-year-old woman that was searching for ghosts fell 20 feet through a substation roof. Oh, my gosh. According to an article on WIVB, quote, a Kenmore woman hurt while ghost hunting inside the central terminal is now speaking out. She wants to stop someone else from possibly making the same mistake. The central terminal has a reputation for being haunted, so Rachel Miller and her friend Eric wanted to see if the rumors were true. I always felt like a curiosity about it, she said. What they thought was going to be a fun night of exploring at the central terminal changed completely after one wrong step. She says, quote, I put my foot down to check how nice and level it was and if it could hold my weight. And the next thing I remember, I just fell right through the floor, Rachel said. Yikes. I turned my back for not even two seconds. She was gone and all I hear was her screaming, Eric said. I take it these were people who didn't exactly have a no. permission to be <laughs> nope. there? Okay. While inside the nearly century-old building, Rachel fell about 20 feet through a substation roof. I don't remember the fall. I just remember waking up, she said. It's been a few weeks since the incident, and she's still recovering from a number of injuries, including a broken shoulder blade, four broken ribs, and a punctured lung. Ooh. She wants, yeah, she wants to warn people stay out so that no one has the experience that she did. She says, quote, I don't want anyone else to get hurt because the next person who gets hurt might not come out of it. I shouldn't have even come out of it myself, but I did, especially with the injuries sustained and the way that I fell. That's a, that's a fall. 20 feet? Yeah. Rachel says that she didn't see any no trespassing signs, but if she did, she would not have entered. I feel like that's just common sense. According to Buffalo Police, it is illegal to go into the central terminal without permission and they are being charged with trespassing. So there you go. I, I love that. I think that's the first time we've ever done a haunted train station. Yeah. And I love that idea because I think like airports, like train stations yeah. are just so full of energy, of sadness, yeah. of happiness. Just the people who've been the through people, there. Yeah, you know, but I just can't get the image of my out of my head picking up bodies at the baggage claim of your husband that was killed really in the war or that. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, there is. But that is the Buffalo Central Terminal. Spooky area number two. We always got to have a cemetery. Forest Park Cemetery in Brunswick. Forest Park Cemetery was first incorporated in 1897 by a group of wealthy Troy, New York businessmen under the Forest Park Cemetery Corporation. Although based on older gravestones, the cemetery had apparently been in use since at least 1856. The city planned on the cemetery to eventually offer visitors a park-like experience complete with statues, winding trails, and a large receiving tomb near the entrance. It's weird to think of a people using a cemetery as like a park. Right. But I guess. But I mean, I think cemeteries are I beautiful, I walk through the cemetery places. in Manitowoc all the time. I mean, yeah. I think it makes sense to have it as a park. I, I totally it's just, do. I don't it's see beautiful. A lot of, I don't see a lot of park slash cemeteries. Right. The Forest Park Cemetery Corporation went bankrupt in 1914, and the cemetery was never completed to the original plans. 
The only structure that has been built was the receiving tomb, which still stands today, albeit in a dilapidated state. And I guess what the receiving tomb was, was in winter, they yeah. would store the bodies in there until the ground thawed enough to, yeah. which is weird to, to bury me. people. Yeah. Oh, really? You've never heard of that? No. Hmm. Like Evergreen Cemetery, Mantuak, I, I know they bury people in winter. Really? Don't they? I don't think so. The ground is frozen. I don't know. I guess I just never really thought about mm. that. Yeah, I, I don't know. The receiving tomb was built from granite and featured a copper roof with a large skylight and contained 128 marble catacombs used for storing corpses during the winter. In 1914, the cemetery was reincorporated by New York City natives under the name Forest Hill Cemetery. Due to financial difficulty, the corporation sold all but 22 acres to the neighboring country club of Troy for use in the construction of its golf course. That just seems so wrong to me, Mm -hmm. but whatever. Regardless, the corporation also went bankrupt during the 1930s. A lot of bankruptcies here. The cemetery went mostly unattended except for a local man named William Christian who volunteered to be caretaker and did so from 1918 to his death in 1961. Christian kept notes of the interments, which indicate that the cemetery served upwards of 1,400 burials. Burials continued in the cemetery until about 1975 when the cemetery went completely unattended. Yeah, it's it's like this That's guy really is sad. This yeah, this guy, this one guy is responsible for knowing hmm. basically who was all buried there and who wasn't for like what is that? Like 40 years he did wow. that. Until 1987, control of the cemetery was in dispute. During that year, control was vested in the town of Brunswick at the decree of New York State. In response, the town created a Forest Park Cemetery Advisory Council in 1991, but that ended up being disbanded in 1994. Based on local obituaries, the cemetery was put back in use in the late 1990s and has been used as recently as 2005 for a burial. Employees from the town of Brunswick made multiple attempts during the 1990s and 2000s to remove the overgrown brush and plants, which had become a major problem. In 1988, the cemetery was featured on the, on the news after two youths discovered a partially exhumed grave. Two shovels, a pick, and several beer cans were found at the crime scene. Oh, boy. Although police reports were filed, no one was apprehended for the crime. Jeez. Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know. That's... What are you even trying to do? I'm grave grave robbing. robbing, I'm assuming if somebody has gold teeth or silver. I don't know. The beer cans tell me it was just a, hey, you know what sounds fun? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll bring the beer. Yeah. Yeah. Weekend in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. In 2007, a local Boy Scout and Brunswick resident, Evan Duffy, completed his Eagle Scout project, which was a census of the map and all the gravestones in the cemetery. Hmm. A map and a database containing all the gravestones and the names upon them is now available at the towns of Brunswick offices for those trying to locate family buried in Forest Park. That's really cool. It is. I just never think, like, I think of Evergreen Cemetery, like, everything's... You know, everything's cataloged. You know where everything is. I never think about places like this that... It's maintained. Yeah, that are, the that are just left to right. rot, you know. And grow no over. pun intended. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, I guess I never think of that. I love cemeteries. I, I do. Too. Aaron and I love cemeteries. We love caching in cemeteries. I love walking in cemeteries. Mm-hmm. I think they're so peaceful. Very peaceful. From an article on Exemplar.com from July 31st, 2022 called, quote, the Gates of Hell, the Haunted Pinewood Cemetery, the article says, there is a persistent rumor that Life Magazine once ran an article stating that Pinewood is one of the top 10 most haunted places in the United States. I conducted my own research to try to confirm this, but I was unable to find any such article. 
The town historian even stated that she too has not been able to locate the alleged article. One person even went as far as contacting Life Magazine, and Life Magazine denied the rumor, saying they never wrote any such article. But it always pops up, like Life Magazine's. But you see that everywhere. Hmm. Like this is one of was voted one of Life Magazine's yeah. twenty most haunted oh, sure. places. On one of my visits, though, I had the very unsettling experience of realizing that my phone, which had been fully charged just moments before, died as soon as I passed through the gates of the cemetery. I can find no logical explanation for why this would have happened. Apparently, though, I'm not alone. According to many others, the same thing has happened to them. And in 1916, a Buffalo man by the name of Harold Hubbard Horn was visiting the cemetery with his girlfriend. Not much is known about the details of what happened. All that is certain is that the man died in the cemetery from a gunshot wound to the head. Some say that he and his girlfriend parked their car at the entrance and spent the night talking. At some point, his girlfriend fell asleep, and when she awoke, she found that he had shot himself in the head. Others have said that she woke up to find him hanging from a tree after hearing the sound of his shoes scraping against the top of the car. Okay, then. That's an, that sounds That's like an, an urban, urban legend. legend. That is totally an urban legend. Yes. Many people say that if you drive by the cemetery at night, you can see the troubled young man roaming the cemetery. Others say that if you call his name three times at night, he will appear. Ooh, his Bloody aura, Mary. Yeah, his aura is, a, is explained to be a, quote, warm feeling, not cold like most spirits. His spirit is described as giving off warm feelings of comfort, especially to those who are depressed because he does not want them to share his fate. I have visited the cemetery a few times, and during one visit, I followed a pathway that led out into the woods. I had heard, and this is one of the one of the things about the place, I had heard there were statues, but I seemed to be going deeper and deeper into the woods, and I almost decided to turn around and head back. Instead, I continued, and that's when I found them, headless angel statues in the middle of the woods. Eerily, I found fresh flowers right beside the statues. There were no graves nearby, and the cemetery is considered to be abandoned, so fresh flowers next to statues that are deep in the woods seemed odd to say the least. Rumors persist that the angel statues can be seen bleeding from the neck at night. Questions abound. Why were the heads removed? Who did it? And where are the heads now? And that is one of the teaser pictures is a headless angel statue. Mm. And there are people that say that you that they've seen the, the, the bleeding bleed. But then other people say it's a moss, that it's like a moss that, you know, because there are mosses that I've seen that if you rub one way, it, it's red. Oh, sure. You know, but yeah. people are saying that that's what they're seeing as the blood on them, mm. but I just can't, I don't know. Sounds urban legendy yeah. too. So then, it's and as, as a, uh, to answer the question, who would do that? Kids, kids do stupid stuff. I oh, mean, yeah, 100%. people deface cemeteries 100%. and headstones all the time. But I think it would take a lot of work to cut a head off of a statue. I feel like a sledgehammer would probably do the trick. Yeah, true. It's not like you have experience with that. Were you out sledgehammering just... <laughs> statues in woods? No, that's what you and Jim do Definitely on your Saturdays. Not. And then the comments under this article there are comments. One of the comments says, "Quote." I've been here numerous times. Do I think it is haunted? Yes, but I've done a lot of research and I even spoke to Time and Life magazine and they say no such article was ever written. The bleeding statues were most likely decapitated by vandals years ago and it's said that when people see the glowing red eyes on the statue, that's the results of RPI college students using a laser that they borrowed from the college, which I could totally see. Sure, I could yeah. totally see taking one of those laser pens and making the eyes red when people go look at it. Yeah, but that means you're hanging out in the woods waiting for people. Exactly. Kind of weird. But I do think it's haunted because I've seen some really strange things, especially a black shadow out of the corner of my eye that when I looked again, it was gone. Somebody else commented, 
I've been there so, so many times and I'm not a believer per se, but I remember one of the last nights I went there, I saw something in the tree by the mausoleum. It was like a dark mass. And when I looked at it, I felt sick. It's the weirdest feeling ever. Hmm. Somebody else says years ago, my sister and I went in there just to check things out. After all the ghost stories we had heard about it, we went during the day. We had walked around a majority of the cemetery and then we both started having an uneasy feeling. And as we were walking towards the back right side, we both saw a black figure dart across our path in front of us. And the fact that we'd both seen this tells me that it wasn't just my imagination. And we ran as fast as we could out of there. Somebody else says, back in the day when we were in high school in the early 2000s, a bunch of us went into the cemetery around 2 a.m. and had some weird moments while looking for the statue or the beheaded Mary that bleeds. It was nothing that we could call real ghost encounters other than us freaking ourselves out. Then we started walking back to our car. We heard some old style music and started laughing and joking about how it was probably the old people up at the VFW <laughs> or the club behind the cemetery partying it up. Yeah, because those VFW people are real it, party, party well, animals. It wasn't until we left that we realized it was 3 a.m. and that the music that was playing was the music from the area of when the cemetery was first shut down. That cemetery definitely does have some kind of activity depending on the person being there. Hmm. Somebody else says, about 10 years ago, my ex and his two guy friends, we decided Pinewoods would be a fun trip to take one night. We brought a video camera. We went in, but it was too dark to make anything out because we didn't want to get in trouble with the law. We finally came out because it was so dark, and we decided to film near the front gate. What we caught on video was like nothing I'd ever seen. There seemed to be a blurred figure that kept passing between all of us, and when it passed a person, that person would appear to double in the blur, including me. That's weird. Very. We took turns filming, and every one of us was watching this happen in the camera as we filmed, but we couldn't see anything with our naked eye if we looked away. The thing that freaked me out the most was that this blur seemed like it was pacing between all of us, and it seemed to have a thing for me. I still have the film, and it quiets anyone that watches it. Because the tape was new at the time, and the filming before and after the incident came out perfectly fine, something weird was going on. That creeps me out for some reason. And from the Weird U.S. site, somebody said... The city of Troy, New York, might just be the weirdest city in the whole state. No one ever wants to discuss Troy's Pinewood Cemetery, a.k.a. Forest Park, because this one is so haunted that some say you can never leave it once you enter. It's true, actually, because the memory stays with you. About 30 years ago, I walked through the cemetery with my cousin. She was visiting from the Midwest, and I had never been there, but had heard stories about it. We walked through tall grass surrounding a deeply rutted and, for the most part, unpaved road to an interior mausoleum vault, which was open. That was the holing vault or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. We decided to go into the mausoleum, which had broken windows all around, to get out of the sun. When we got inside, I remembered that it was so cold and there were empty marble vaults where coffins had once been. The temperature was so cold that we could see our breath and there was frost coming down the sides of the interior of the vault. Just a little light came in, even though there were plenty of broken windows all around. We stayed there for about a half hour because we couldn't leave. We felt as if something was holding us back, spinning us around inside the mausoleum. I took pictures on my camera, and par for the course, the pictures didn't come out. When we left, we felt fear and then calm. I know that was probably my first true visit from spirits, but I was not afraid at all. After that experience, I started walking through the cemeteries at night just to see if I could get the same feeling at another cemetery, but I never did. Somebody else says... I'm not sure if you guys had ever been told this place or not, but in Troy, New York, there's an old cemetery called Forest Hills. The cemetery has long been closed to the public, and it's overgrown by woods. Supposedly, a legend has it that following a few unexplained incidents, including one where the bodies that were being held in the mausoleum disappeared without a trace, sometime in the 20s or 30s, it was shut down. I think it's really weird that... 
I mean, I understand if nobody's really maintaining it, whatever, but how can you close it to the public? What I don't if know. you have family there? I know. I don't think you can, technically. Like, how do you stop people from visiting their loved ones? I don't think you can. There's, I think you can't at night, but I think you're allowed to go in a cemetery at any yeah. other time. This person says, last time I was in the cemetery was around 14 years ago, but recent photos online show that some of the same creepy statues and the actual mausoleum are still intact. One of the creepiest statues is one that stands around 10 feet tall. It's an angel standing in front of the cross, but its head is missing. Venturing into the wooded area, which most of it is, aside from the paths, uh, is like walking through a scary movie. You'll take a few steps through some trees and then stumble upon a child's headstone. It seems to have been a pretty full cemetery that for some reason was just abandoned. Walking through there gives you an eerie feeling even in the daytime. There are lots of cold spots, and I've even had friends who were chased out of there right up to the edge of the woods by something, a shape or an entity that they couldn't describe as anything other than a dark figure. My friends Steve and Don, two very tough ex-Marines, decided to venture in one night around 1 a.m. and ran out after going a few feet past the entrance. The bushes started rustling, and they heard the laughter of several small children. The spirits are known to be very angry, and they seem to be in some state of purgatory. If anyone plans to visit, you have to be very careful, as there are a lot of no trespassing signs. You can, however, gain access to it with permission from the town of Brunswick. Hmm. So that's the Forest Hills Cemetery. I would love to check that place out. Yeah, totally. That would be one nice thing about when we go somewhere, that we could check out like areas Multiple around locations. there, like cemeteries yep. and stuff. Agreed. And number one, the number one place on my list of haunted places in New York is the Rolling Hills Asylum. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you we see all know this, that. We see this all the time, like on ghost shows. Mm -hmm. The Rolling Hills Asylum in East Bethany, New York, opened in 1827. On, oh, we'll start all over here. According to the Step Out Buffalo site and the New York Ghost site, the Rolling Hills Asylum in East Bethany, New York, opened in 1827 on 108 acres as the Genesee County Poorhouse. I thought a poorhouse is an actual thing. A safe haven for orphan children, families, destitute, elderly, physically handicapped, mentally unstable, morally corrupt, and criminals. I didn't know the poorhouse. Put them I, all in I, the same place. <laughs> yeah, the poorhouse, I didn't know it was a real thing. I thought it was something that my parents said that I was going to run them to by always wanting candy <laughs> when I was a You're not going to amount to anything. <laughs> in the poorhouse. End up in the poorhouse. End up in the poorhouse. According to the paper at the time, quote, the following are eligible for assistance, habitual, <laughs> habitual drunkards, lunatics, paupers, state paupers, or vagrants. These institutions were situated on the grounds of a poor farm on which able-bodied residents were required to work. Such farms were common in the United States in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Regardless of... Regardless of the reason for being there, the residents were all called inmates. So that should give you a hint as to how they were treated during their stay there. Mm -hmm. There is also a record of a cemetery located on the grounds of the farm, but it has not yet been discovered. The county would bury those who had no family on the land. The cemetery itself has faded away over the years with stones crumbling and wearing away into the winds. In 1938, the Genesee County Infirmary was added to the property. Come 1960s, the property became the Genesee County Nursing Home. However, in 1974, due to a bunch of reasons, such as lack of water and wheelchair ramps pitched to open stairwells, it shut its doors for the last times as a county facility, and the property sat empty for 10 years. The Rolling Hills Asylum, as it is now known, witnessed over 1,700 documented deaths on the property, with God knows how many more being unrecorded. Several private owners attempted conversions of the property into a country museum, craft stores, and antique mall, but not until the current owner, Sharon Coyle, did the property become infamous for being haunted. 
Sharon visited the site on a ghost hunt in 2008 and had a ton of experiences. When she found out that it was going to be closed forever, she ended up purchasing the asylum because nobody else wanted it. Featured on shows such as Ghost Adventures, Ghost Asylum, Haunted, USA, and Legendary... Featured on shows such as Ghost Adventures, Ghost Asylum, Haunted USA, and Legendary Locations, as well as used for, as a film location for various movies, television shows, and music videos, Rolling Hills Asylum is said to be a hotbed of paranormal activity. It is now known as the second most haunted site in the United States. And again, who, who rates that? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. One tragic what sto- constitutes? Exactly. What, what's your criteria? Yep. That's what I want to know. One tragic story involved a resident named Roy. Roy Boring suffered... Right f- now. Hmm? pouring right now is it mm-hmm. i hope it stops before you have to drive home uh, my, my new tires are okay oh, good. actually That's good okay roy suffered from extreme gigantism gigantism mm-hmm. gigantism a physical gigantism def- gigantism thanks mm-hmm. f- i love that you can pronounce i remember I this this particular ghost Do too you? It's roy i don't remember this i've seen like investigations at the Rolling one I, Hills. I remember the most is Destination Fear went there. And I even remember the room, he, the guy, the bed was still there that he slept in. And it was a, like a an oversized yeah. bed. Yep. That's one of the things that people were complaining about with the new owners, that she remade the rooms to look like... People still live yeah. there? Hmm. I think some of the, the artifacts in the rooms were original. Yeah, though. they were. But Roy suffered from extreme gigantism, a physical deformity that left his face deformed, his hands and feet oversized, and his height well over seven feet. Roy was the son of a prominent banker in New York, and he was sent to live at the asylum because his family considered him an embarrassment. That sucks. Mm -hmm. He was brought to the asylum when he was 12, and he died there at the age of 62. He loved opera music and was known in the asylum as a kind, gentle-hearted man. Today, visitors see his hulking shadow lurking throughout the building. One story recorded by Weird New Jersey told by the owner of the building, Sharon, truly captures Roy's purity. Sharon tells a story about running into a rat in the infirmary. (sighs) Words are hard. Words are hard. Sharon tells a story about running into a rat in the infirmary about two months after moving into Rolling Hills. Terrified by it, she screamed and ran away. The very next day, she found that same rat dead on the stairs, blood oozing from its mouth as if its neck had been broken. On the wall above the rat was a giant bloody handprint. Sharon believes that the ghost of Roy witnessed her distress and killed the rat for her. It's said that sometimes when opera music is played, Roy comes out to dance with the visitors. Hmm. Sounds like a nice guy. I want to say, I could be wrong on this. You said he lived to 62? Yeah. I want to say that the people who encounter him, though, his... Um, what, is, what am I trying to say? He's his ghost or whatever is more of a child. Oh, like really? it's not him as a six. Yeah, it's him. Well, he was he went there when he was, was what twelve years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless he also had mental, yeah, um, incapac- whatever yeah. you want to say that made him more of childlike as a even as an adult. I'm not sure, but that's weird. Like, what form do you take as a ghost? Do you, a lot you of times, take... people think you you go back to when you were at your most healthy. When you're young, you know what I mean? Yeah. Depending on the situation, yeah. probably. But One of the nurses in the infirmary... Why am I having such a hard time with that word? Infirmary. <laughs> you're putting the wrong emphasis on I the am. wrong syllable. One of the nurses in the... Infirmary. Thank you. <laughs> Nurse Emmy was known for her absolute cruelty. She was feared by inmates and staff and was even rumored to have performed satanic rituals and black magic on the residents. Okay. Reports have circulated that Nurse Emmy still walks the halls of Rolling Hills as visitors hear her cackle-like laugh coming from the infirmary today. 
Alrighty then. Another paranormal hotspot. That sounds. I'm sorry. That sounds like a made up thing. Think though. so. Yeah. Another paranormal hotspot in the asylum is a room known only as Hattie's room. Located on the first floor of the east wing, this room has captured voice recordings of an elderly woman yelling "hello," and it's believed that this is a voice of a former patient named Hattie who was blind and who used to yell "hello" all day and night to get the attention of staff and nurses. That I can see. Yeah, that feels almost well, yeah residual maybe. I yeah. don't know. Legends say that this sounds this sounds made up, and I think that they made this up just for their haunted house at Halloween when they have like a haunted house where people come through. Okay. Legends say that a man named Jack Banyan was committed to the asylum on Halloween night, 1943. Exactly 30 years later, on October 31st, 1973, he escaped, leaving behind a note on the wall written in blood saying, quote, you're all going to pay. Well, Jack was never seen again, but it's believed that his spirit still haunts the asylum. People claim to have heard his voice laughing in the hallways. That sounds to me like a I feel up. like I might have to watch this episode. <laughs> watch this again? Tonight, yeah. Moving upwards in the building, the second floor men's dormitory is referred to... This This creeps me out. <laughs> this is... This, I don't know. Moving upwards in the building, the second floor men's dormitory is referred to as, quote, the shadow hallway, a fitting name since this is a hallway where visitors almost always see shadow figures moving about. They walk in and out of doorways, across halls, peek out from behind doors, and are even sometimes seen crawling across the floor. Ah. Yeah, that's a no. Ugh. The that's peeking no. and the crawling. No, yeah. thank you. You can walk back and forth between doors. That's, yeah, that's fine. Cool. But don't peek. That's don't cool. crawl. The psych ward and solitary confinement locations in the asylum are some of the most sinister. Iron brackets protrude out of the cement walls of a small room in the basement, which is believed to have been used to shackle unruly inmates. Sharon explains the horror of this and that it wasn't always just criminals who were being locked up here. She says back in the day, they didn't understand that you probably had a medical issue like Alzheimer's, epilepsy, Tourette's syndrome, Asperger's, or you were just simply an unruly wife. Back then, if a man couldn't control his wife, he'd say, I'm going to lock you up. And there were many reasons why they would lock you up. Isn't that insane? That is. But it it happened, you know. So this area was definitely not good. The morgue is another hotbed for ghostly activity at the asylum. In this room, there is a large embalming table, two large refrigerators, and a huge steel sink. The morgue is rife with paranormal activity to this day, such as items being moved, disembodied voices, and visitors report reporting being shoved down onto the cold tile floors. According to the Navigation Junkie blog, she attended a ghost hunt there saying, quote, the first attempt of the guide to interact with the spirits was by placing one of the guests in a wheelchair in the center of the hall. The spirits have been known to try to assist guests who appeared as though they needed help. We didn't get a response. While we were waiting for a response to the helpless visitor in the wheelchair, though, we did catch a flash of light in one of the rooms in the hallway. When going to the room, we found nothing that would have caused this flash. At the same time, one of my friends had her voice recorder running. Curious about the possible encounter, she played it back and a male voice could clearly be heard saying, quote, I don't like you, which you don't want to hear on an EVP. No, you don't. Nurse Emmy's room was another one of the more notable rooms in the haunted asylum that we visited. Nurse Emmy was hated by the residents and other staff members. We didn't encounter Nurse Emmy, but while in that area, my friends claimed that they heard the loud scream of a woman. There's believed to be a screaming woman that wanders the hallways and has been heard many times in the past. Somebody else writes, in 1998, my fiancé, now husband, had an herb shop called the Raven's Nest in the room across from what was a little restaurant in the Ooh, building. I want to go there. <laughs> a grandson of someone offered to take us upstairs when I told him about noises I was hearing, and I kept seeing a woman in an old-fashioned nurse's uniform walk past our shop door. That's creepy to me. Yeah. You know, 
Like, just going about her business. Yeah, but that's creepy to me that you might not necessarily know it's haunted, and you might see a nurse like walk past and not even know that, right. that that's not really that they're not really there. When I would look down the hallway, she would be gone, but you could hear her shoes squeaking. We went upstairs, and the owners had taken all of the doors off and laid them inside the room. My husband and the boy, I cannot remember his name, were walking beside me. I have been psychic since I was a kid when I fell six feet onto concrete and split my head open. Oh, my. I kept hearing a low murmuring. As we walked past the rooms, one at a time, you could hear the door slam shut even though the doors were off. The boys were walking very fast at this point, but I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. I stopped in front of one of the rooms, and I saw an old-fashioned metal tub with a high back, an elderly man sitting there in steaming hot water, his eyes closed, and his skin red. The woman in white that I had been seeing was now leaning over him with a strange smile on her face. Everything happened so fast. The vision was gone, replaced by a room with rubble on the floor. I never saw the woman in front of our shop again, but I always did hear murmuring, squeaking of wheelchairs, and children laughing. Hmm. Ugh, no. Somebody else says, on 5-22-10, I was in the Christmas room in the basement where I was using my K2 meter and digital recorder just asking random questions. I was getting some answers, such as bangs and little noises here and there, but what I caught on my digital recorder is unexplainable. It sounds like a small male child repeating what I had just said, and I was the only male in this room, let alone in the whole basement area. I, I wish I could hear these. I know, right. Somebody else says, my team members and I were in the shock therapy room, and we caught the organ in the upstairs playing two notes on our, EVB, on our EVP recorder when nobody was by the organ. It's one of the best EVPs I had ever caught. Somebody else says, I just want to say that yesterday on August 3rd, 2010, we had stopped by Rolling Hills to ask about a tour. We drove around the building and we were greeted by the new owner in the back of the building. As I was talking to her, I was still in my car, but I heard what sounded like strange grunting noises. My friend just prior to that heard a woman scream. I didn't hear it as I was talking to the new owner at the time. It was around 8.30 p.m. Grunting noises. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I went to, somebody else says, yesterday I went to the infamous Rolling Hills Asylum, one of the most haunted locations in the world for a three-hour tour and a ghost hunt. I went with my mom because she's interested in ghosts too. We didn't have any equipment besides our phones and a recording device on my mom's phone. Besides, it was during the daytime and we only had about an hour and a half to investigate. After our tour, we walked around and went into the shadow hallway. When we got into the first room located on the left, there were some toys scattered in one part of the room for children's spirits. As soon as we walked in, a volleyball on the floor slowly rolled towards us and then stopped. It had moved roughly a foot or two across the flo- foot or two across the floor. I put it back in its original position and did not appear as if there were any drafts in the room. I kicked the ball around the room asking for a spirit to come and play with me, but the ball didn't move after that first time. I was disappointed because only seconds before I stepped into the room, I turned off my phone and had just turned it back on as we stepped into the room, but I was not fast enough to get my camera to record the ball rolling. My mom has a recorder on her phone, and I attempted to make contact with any spirits in that room, and I thought I heard a weird whistling noise when I played it back. In the morgue, there was an autopsy table that I think was where people claimed that there was a heaviness on their chest when they laid down on it. I laid on the table and didn't feel anything. There was a suit hanging on a string nearby that if you ask questions about people in the room, it said that the suit would turn to that person's direction. When a few other people entered the morgue, they asked if the suit would turn to my mom and I. It was still, and nobody had moved it, and then it slowly turned towards my mom and I and then stopped. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. When I was laying on the table, it hadn't moved at all, but now it was turned towards us. Pretty creepy, but I wanted to see some more parts of the building and kept moving. 
We went to the area where on Ghost Hunters, a door supposedly moved towards Jason. I'm not too big of a fan of Ghost Hunters, but this was pretty early in the show, which always seems to be more credible on paranormal TV shows, which I get. I think Ghost mm-hmm. Hunters was more credible at the beginning. Yeah, I think so too. We found that door accidentally looking for the basement tunnels where the spirit of Raymond is said to be. My mom. I mean, took... I don't think anyone starts out no, they thinking, don't. I'm going to fake stuff. No, they you know don't, what I mean? but you end, up, you end up getting As sucked into As you get more that. viewers and the, probably yep. the people in charge of the actual show are like, all right, we, we, need, to, we need a little bit more yep. to happen here. Yep. We found the door accidentally looking for the basement tunnels where the spirit of Raymond is said to be. My mom took one look into her room and said, nope, she didn't like it. She felt there were spirits in there. My, in there. My mom is not a psychic, but she says she can sometimes feel the presence of a ghost when she has a heaviness in her chest. I looked around the room, but didn't really feel anything. We went back to the shadow person hallway one more time, and as I made my way there, I looked up at the end of the hallway, and it looked like a shadowy woman with curly hair in a bun at the back of her head went into one of the rooms. I hurried down the corridor that in the room that looked like the woman had gone into, but nobody was there. That's funny to me. I'm not psychic, but I can sense the presence yeah. of ghosts. There was another room, which I believe is called the Vortex Room, and my mom felt sick in there, but the moment she left, she felt okay again. It was nearing the end of the investigation, so we had to wrap it up. I sat in the wheelchair one more time and listened because I thought I heard a creepy squeaking noise next to me. My mom began to leave to go where everyone was supposed to meet up, and I heard the squeaking sound begin to follow her down the hallway, so I rushed over and told her. I do think the Rolling Hills Asylum is haunted. Has anybody been there or experienced anything similar? I would like to know. And then somebody responded, I was just there last night. My brother and I went for the three-hour tour from 9.30 to 12.30. What a phenomenal place to explore. I really only had one strange and inexplicable experience when I was there, and it came in Nurse Emma's room. To make a long story short, I knocked on the doorframe, introduced myself, and sat in a chair and attempted to speak to her in German for about 10 minutes. My brother refused to enter the room and stayed in the doorway. When I was there, nothing happened, but I did feel rather comfortable being in there, unlike other areas in the building. Now, here's where it gets strange. As I was leaving the room, I said, Danke, guten Nacht, Emma. Hmm. Just after I said that, what sounded, we heard what sounded like a slight shuffle from the closet, and I turned to see the closet door move about an inch. I'd be lying through my teeth if I said that chills didn't instantly run through me. I just kind of stood there, whispered for my brother to come back, then walked away. It was really weird. Other than that, I thought I saw a shadow pass into the room at the end of the shadow hallway, but I might chalk that up to my eyes and the poor lighting playing tricks on me. It was a great way to spend Halloween night. Heck yeah. So yeah, that's that's Rolling Hills Asylum. A two-hour guided walking tour is about $25 per person. That's not bad. No. That's cheaper than doing the asylum here. A midweek, a during-the-week private ghost hunt, four hours up to 10 people is $500. Eight hours is $850. If you want to go on the weekend, it has to be an eight-hour ghost hunt with up to 15 people for $1,500. Mm. But really, if like I, I was thinking that was a lot. But if you have ten people and it's five hundred dollars, that's fifty bucks a person. Right. I think I think when we did the Mansfield Penitentiary, it was that much. That's way more reasonable than what the asylum here is charging. Yeah. So maybe it's really not that bad. And if you think about it, I mean, people probably scoff at the why do I have to pay? They're just you know making money off of us. But, yeah, but someone they're also has putting to pay it towards for restoring the property. Exactly. A lot of them are putting it towards restoring the property or their equipment. Are paying for things like electricity yeah. or whatever the case. So may maybe be. it's not as bad as as expensive as I thought. No, you know, I remember. I don't for I a remember famous what, place. Mansfield, famous. I want to say, was like sixty bucks, seventy bucks. You know, and it was an all night investigation. Yeah. So there you go. That is the Rolling Hills Asylum. Very cool. 
So that's New York. And you there were, wasn't, it's funny. You were like, there wasn't much, but I mean, it was well over two <laughs> hours know. of content. I know. I, I, I feel like I go into a lot of the history of the places and I don't know if people want me to go into, let me, let me know you guys, if you'd want me to go into less history, but I like to talk about the history of the place. I like to hear the history too. Okay. And I really because like the stuff you did Because if I did just the, the spooky stuff, right. it wouldn't be that long. But I, th- I think the history mm-hmm. about these places is uh, as important as the, I, as I the haunting stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling I Hills. also like the fun facts at the beginning. You oh, can't I love the fun facts. Part. I'm not getting rid of those. But it's like, should we break it up into one cryptids episode and one, you know, I li- I do like having cryptids and spooky places in the unhaunted places in the so same like episode. So like each Have each like a New York cryptids and have a New York haunted place. Would be like a part one and a part two. Yeah. Because that's what we're doing with Wisconsin. We still yeah. have to do it's part two. It's like, should two. we do that with all the states or do you guys, let us know you guys. Do you like everything being crammed into one episode for the state? Would you rather have it split up? New York just surprised me that there wasn't a whole lot there. I thought it was a lot. But there you go. There is New York. Hopefully it was okay. Um, yeah, well, as the Beastie Boys say, it's a hell of a town. <laughs> it is a hell of a town. We're running short on time here, but I do have two songs. Um, I did want to mention a couple things too. Okay, we'll do the songs. One of our listeners, Anna, emailed us and asked us if we took a listener request. Oh, the songs. That listener yeah, request yeah. for songs. I'm going to do one of her songs. Though. Okay. Asked us if we would do listener requests for songs and i really like that idea because i generally like to do two so maybe from now going forward if you have a song you would like me to put on here message me let me mm-hmm. know because that's what she did yeah, i thought it was a cool idea it was a really cool idea so anna and oh anna my tooth does feel better i went to the dentist he said nothing's wrong oh good that's so good. yeah you complained the about the tooth it does time. feel better but she just recently went to a concert by this this girl this girl that we're gonna play her or okay puts her video and i've there. heard of this singer i have not heard of this singer she says it's her favorite musician she's norwegian and she went to one of her concerts she said it was just amazing so the song this one is for you anna the song anna wants on here that is called giving into the love by aurora and i had never heard of this mm-hmm. and i liked it i listened to it i liked it it almost like i love churches and it kind of i feel had a church's vibe a little bit mm. mm-hmm. at least i thought so so it's giving into the love by Aurora, and some of the comments underneath the video in YouTube, one of them says, "quote I just love Aurora, her music, her essence, the way she just exists in this world, deciding to share a little bit of herself, simply magical. Thank you for existing. Thank you for singing." Somebody else says, "quote I can't explain what it is about Aurora that makes her kind of ethereal, like an old kind and wise soul." This video has such a beautiful message. I wish we could spread love and free people from their frightening ideas that make them stuck in the same position and same ideology. Freedom and love is what we all seek, and I hope one day we can find that. Somebody else says, quote, Just want to share here that seeing the way all of you warriors and weirdos feel and are moved by Aurora's music makes me feel so seen and heard. Like we're all showing our wounds and our hearts full of love to each other through this simple act of touching and being touched by this music. Hmm. I know. I think that's like so well said. Yeah. Everyone who is reading this and gets what I'm saying, I'm grateful for your company in this. Aurora has taught me that this is also a kind of love and I'm glad to be sharing it with you. So that is for Anna. That is Giving Into the Love by Aurora. My song that I'm doing this episode, I believe I've mentioned on here before, but this is, I have some videos that are like my happy place videos. Okay. Um, and this is one of them and I kind of didn't want to 
to post this on here because I feel like it makes me look sketchy. Oh. Because the okay. video the video is basically three teenage girls cavorting around on a beach. Oh, okay. You know? And I, I remember I stumbled across this because I was looking for a song with the same title by a different artist. So I watched this video and I loved this video. And I've talked about this song on here before. And I had no idea that this song was a remake of an 80s song. And I just fell in love with this version of the song. And when I found out it was a remake and I went and listened to the original and I was like, no, I don't like this. I don't like <laughs> the original. Funny. So some, some of the YouTube comments... And I followed the, the girl, like the, the main girl that posted this. It's three girls, like I said, cavorting around on a beach and stuff. And I follow the main girl. And she's, I don't know if she's rich, but she travels around the world. And she's posting, she's working in, in Amsterdam right now. And she's doing a, a vlog, basically video blog okay. of, of what she's all doing and stuff. And I followed her for like years. So it's weird that I feel like I kind of know her mm. through her stuff. But anyway... It's not weird. People feel like they know us. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Some of the comments under this video on YouTube, somebody writes, quote, quote, you deserve all of the great comments that this video has. It's magically edited and filmed. It's a nostalgic evocation for adults and a true feeling of youth passion for you youngsters. Great job and thanks for sharing it. Somebody else writes, quote, oh, wow, this is your vlog. I legit thought this was actually the official music video. It syncs so well. Great editing and great atmosphere. Somebody else writes, quote, God, I hope you three kids stay friends forever. <laughs> somebody else writes, this song, or somebody else writes, quote, this is infinitely better for me than the original version. And I agree. Somebody else says, quote, I actually thought this video was from the 60s or 70s until I saw that pickup truck drive past at 153. Somebody else says, quote, I remember this song the first time around, and now I am 51 years old. It was a scary time then for young people. We thought the bomb was going to drop and that we were going to die. I served in the Royal Navy. I was young, and I was very scared of the future, but we survived. I hope you young people realize that the world is a beautiful place. Go out and discover and learn, and remember, travel does broaden the mind. And I agree, travel when you're young. I wish I would have done mm -hmm. that. Learn and enjoy and learn that all people just want to live. They do not want to kill or harm you. They just want to live in peace just like you do. Somebody else writes, This song, no matter what video footage it is married to, has the ability to bring back memories from one's childhood, sometimes raising a smile but often raising a tear at the thought of friends and family in times now gone that you wish could have been frozen in time. I listen to this song all the time. It's a gem. And somebody else says, what an anthem. Enjoy it while it lasts. And always, I mean always, stay young in your head. Don't let them make you old. And it is the song Forever Young by Youth Group. Youth Group is the band that remade the song. It was originally made by a group called Alphaville. And it's like mm. a new wavy 80s. And I just did not like it. And I'm going to get crap for that because so many people love that song, mm. that version of the song. And I'm thinking of Forever Young. Was it like... Rod Stewart or something. I think somebody? that's the one I was looking up was okay. Rod Stewart and I found this video and like I said it's just the way that the video is shot is like so beautifully done like mm. I love it's just like I said it's just three girls like spending the day at the beach and it's shot with this I don't know what filter they use but it looks like an old video and there's some shots in here that I think are just beautiful there's one shot where like the girl is it's just like smiling into the camera on the on the dock and you can see like a parasailer above her head that almost mm. looks like a halo and there's a uh, there the three of them are like in white outfits like hanging out on this 
monument or this sculpture, which is really cool. I think it's just such a beautiful video. And I just love this video. So I'll post this in the group. My video or my song is Forever Young, originally by Alphaville, but this is the remake by a band called Youth Group. Okay. So those are my songs. Cool. I was going to mention quickly um, Netflix. I'm a huge fan of Lock and Key on Netflix, yeah. and I had no idea that season three had been released until two days ago. Is it good? Is it good? I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, the whole premise is this family, the Lock family, have this old Victorian ginormous mansion called the Key House, and there's actually magic keys that keep being found that do this different things. This is by things. Stephen King's son, correct? Oh, is it really? I think so. Oh, I didn't even know yeah. that. Um it's really good, though. So I didn't know if you're like me and had zero idea that season three had been released. It has. Start watching it. It's Sweet. good. The other thing I was going to mention is Brad Medeiros had posted that he was in a documentary yes. um, about Dogman. Dog Man, yeah. And I did watch it. Yeah. Um, it was good. Yeah. So awesome, Brad, to see you in a, in a documentary. I, I didn't know he was like an authority on Dogman. Um, but Tony Merkel is also in it. So if anyone's a is fan. Is that the one you were thinking it was? Yeah, yeah. If anyone's a fan of The Confessionals podcast tony merkel is the host of that show and he he is in and he's big on dogman too yeah so cool very cool check it out it's on youtube i can't remember the name of it but if you're a stranger he did post a link yeah. to it on I'll, the I gotta watch page. That. i'll watch that this weekend yeah hopefully. and it's a, it's less than an hour so yeah. it's a quick watch too anything else <sighs> i don't think so okay we got a listener question this oh, one was okay. this one was sent in by carl wagner and now i feel bad because i was going to send you this the other day so you had time to think oh, about it great but this was sent in by Carl Wagner, and he asked, if you could get the answer to five things, what would they be? Oh, dang. That's tough. Like, five things? My, like... Like, mysteries were all... It could like, be mysteries. Who shot Kennedy? He, he brought up who shot Kennedy. Uh-huh. That would be one of them, probably. Mine, mine, one of mine, probably my number one, would be where is the bet sphere now? Mm-hmm. I love the bet mm-hmm. sphere. Anybody that knows me knows I'm, I love that crazy little bowling ball. Yep. I love the bet sphere. Like, where is that now? Yep. I, do I want to know if there's life after death? I feel like I have enough of my own experiences and things I can't explain in investigations that that's proof to me that there's something more. Yeah. I don't want the big picture stuff answered. I want to know where more Murray is. Yes. I, I want to know where more Murray is. is. I want to know what happened to Trini Gibson because that mm. one stays with me. I want to know what happened to Trini. Trini, more Murray, the Bet Sphere. Kennedy, I do want to know who shot Kennedy. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to know what happened in Hopkinsville with the Hopkinsville goblins. Mm. Okay, uh, that was the one with the backwards flipping goblins that when Corey was here that we. Oh, did. that's right. Yeah, that yeah. was a great one. Yeah. What else? Like, I don't want a positive answer. Is your life after death? Because either way, it's going to affect you mm-hmm. your the rest of your life. I feel like there are ones I already know the answer to. I believe yeah. aliens are real. Yeah. I believe Bigfoot is real. I only named two, right? Wow, coming up with five. Well, Mora, did you say Mora? I did say Mora. Yep, Mora Murray. Yeah, I definitely want to know what happened to Mora Murray. Um, what are other big mysteries? Stonehenge. What's that about? <laughs> How did that happen? Also, how did the pyramids get built? Like, how did that happen? There's some things that we just can't, like, quite explain. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fine. Easter think Island. Fine. I'd like to know what that's about, too. I feel like we, we have some good theories, yeah. but nothing really, really so, concrete. So, totally off topic, but I'm so bummed about the, about uh, Georgia Guidestones getting blown up. Oh, I know. What the heck? I know. Because I wanted to visit there. That's a place that I wanted to uh-huh. go. 
you know, I think they had, so I think those are my five. I think I'm, I think. Yeah, I think I named five. Yeah. It's just weird. Like, I don't want the big big picture stuff answered. I want to know where Mora is. I want to know where Trini well, is. I want to know Yeah, the stuff. big picture stuff gives us sort of a, not a purpose, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If we have the answers, then what else is there? I think that's it. Yeah, I think so too. Should I feel like there was something I was going to mention. I was kept thinking about it while you were talking, and I just never Should we do one it. last pickle joke before we move on to Chuck Norris yeah. jokes? Yep. I mean, I'm sure there's. we probably have more than one left. We can't quite retire. We're at the very end, though. I mean, I know we went through most left. of that book. Um, how do you make a pickle sour? How? The same way you make a whiskey sour, only use a pickle. Oh God, I'm. Why did the pickle take a ladder to school? Why? It was going to high school. <laughs> these are so. Dumb. What do these even have to do with pickles? I don't know. Should I read something out of here? Sure. I'm just going to start at the beginning and, okay, when, no. Oh, I see. This is going to be like, I see what they're doing here. When an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger aired in France, the French surrendered to Chuck Norris <laughs> just to be on the safe side. <laughs> see, I like that. Yeah, it's cute. I'm going to need a bookmark so that I can remember where we are. All right, our deets. This episode is going long. Sorry, people. Super long. Deets, you can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the S. Krista is awesome on Instagram at the Strange Sessions. You can send us postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. You could call our lonely phone line at 920-443-9602. This has almost gone so long that I would recommend splitting it into two episodes. No, it's once long. I get the editing done, it should be okay. I think it's going to be longer than we think it is. No, I, I don't think it's worthy of two episodes. <laughs> I think well we'd have to do two intros and yeah I think it'll be okay. okay people can pause it and listen if they want cool so I don't know why it ran so unusually long I don't either we did talk a lot at the beginning but it's a lot's only gonna six be six minutes all my stupid oh like all the yeah. before we even got to taste tests yeah we did have a lot of housekeeping yep so sorry it went so long That's hopefully okay. it didn't put you guys to sleep I gotta go to the bathroom Chris has got to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. I'm actually okay, considering I've been drinking well, this I drank Coke. some soda and a coffee while That's we true. were sitting here. That's so. true. So TMI. As, as TMI. always, thank you guys. That's just some of the extra bonus behind-the-scenes knowledge you get on the strain sessions. <laughs> Krista has to pee. So, so <laughs> from Krista and I, and down in the strange cellar, until next time, stay, stay strange. strange.